Hello, everybody, and welcome back to season 11 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. I won't be here when you come out. I'm sorry. My wife says I can't be a sequelizer, and I have to be home for dinner. The truth is, I'm a writer, nothing more. This is my destiny. I will never know what it's like to be a real podcaster, never know what it feels like to kill for no reason. When's the quote kicking in, Matt? <laughs> oh, we're recording. Shit. Oh, it's um, a podcast. Right. That was just Hwa! that was just confessions of Matthew Stockton. <laughs> just in a monologue. Part six. I hope <laughs> I didn't say that bit out loud just now. <laughs> and speaking of disgraced writers, it's Tim Matum. <laughs> this is the sequelizers. We're the most hated podcasters in all the free world. My own mum is ashamed of me. She tells everybody I'm a drug dealer. I mean, Again, when does the quote kick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys are just stating facts this week. Your own internal monologue is leaking out again. At least that's <laughs> mine. Yeah. Welcome to Sequelizers. We're disappointments to our parents. <laughs> <laughs> Most of our parents don't know what podcasts are. Absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> but in fact, this week we are talking about a film. I don't know if you might have picked up from the quotes. I don't think I would have done necessarily, but. I would now, since I've watched all of these movies. We're talking about the third installment in this trilogy. All the way back 15 years ago, which made me feel very, very old. 2007's Rush Hour 3. What a gigantic pile of shit. <laughs> isn't, Tim, you ain't is, kidding. Isn't it just? Isn't it just? I said to Matt earlier, a film that uh, was terrible when it started and has aged badly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Accurate, accurate. But before we get to fixing Rush Hour 3 and discussing Rush Hour 1 and 2 in a bit more detail, going through all the synopses and getting around to my fix of Rush Hour 3 in the second half, let's stop off at the lovely little place just around the corner. We call patreon.com slash sequelizers and thank the patrons there who make this show possible, who make it free for everyone, who make all the crazy extra bonus stuff we do as well. We just called it the, the maddest outtakes I think I've that's pretty Every, ridiculous. Yeah. Tim doing a peak Tim quiz <laughs> where it melted both of Matt and I considerably. My, the, the, the aim with any quiz I produce is always just to... Maximum discomfort. It's, it, it's to less make it difficult and more make it so baffling that you can't find the answer. Tim is... nailed it. Tim. It's like, here... Eat the sea urchin. Oh, sea urchin's very good. No, 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 no. I didn't say I was going to go inside it. You eat the spiky thing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't chew it, thing. swallow it whole. Okay, Tim. <laughs> I look forward to this hurting me all the way through. <laughs> and then by the end of it, Jack's got um, some points. I've got some points. And there's blood everywhere. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much what happened on the outtakes. And if you'd like to listen to the outtakes, you can join patreon.com slash sequelizers at the £10 tier or higher. You get all of the bonus content we do and... The catalogue of previous bonus content as well, you lucky, lucky folks. You get movie commentaries, which we're doing three of this season, and we've done previous ones before. We've got entire bonus episodes during the interseason, so you've got all of those to catch up on. We've of course got the outtakes, which are a weekly thing during the main season as well, which usually involve 
mad games and weird quizzes and trivia and a bunch of nonsense. We come up with a better title for this than Rush Hour. We did, yeah. Well, I can say what it is here. <laughs> You'll have to go and listen to find out. Just, um, ready to blow your mind, listeners? Why is these? Why are these films called Rush Hour? <laughs> I didn't think about it until Matt asked that question about 15 minutes ago on the outtakes, and maybe we solved it. You'll have to go and tune into we the outtakes. Absolutely, we we solved we it. definitely solved it. Like I said, if you go to the 10 pound tier, you get all the bonus content. You can go to a higher tier, you can get exclusive discounts on merch. You get exclusive merch, and if you go up to the 30 pound tier or higher, you can become an executive producer, just like these fine folks have done. David Selinger. I've been looking for you all day, my friend. We need to talk. Marcus Lindstrom. You're a pathetic bunch of criminals who always resort to violence. Hyper Dude Man. Americans make me sick. James McDowell. Today was amazing. The guns, the shooting. Now I understand what it is to be an American. Stuart Maine. Let me kill someone tonight. Josh van der Sluis. I'm trying to tell you. I'm an American spy. And Philip Morgan. From this moment on. Don't ever ask me about my business. So, in fact, this week is not only us talking about Rush Hour 3. It's, in fact, a pick by one of the VIPs, which are the three patrons at the very highest tier. The VIPs for this week are Mr. Jonathan Firth-Clark. My daddy saved five crackheads from a burning building by himself. Josh Miles. My daddy wants to call a bullet with his bare hands. And the VIP that made us talk about fucking Rush Hour <laughs> is Xenos. My daddy will kick your daddy's ass all the way from here to China, or Japan, wherever the hell you're from, and all up that great wall, hey, too. Don't talk about my father. Don't talk about my daddy. Thank you, VIPs, EPs, and everyone on patreon.com slash sequelizers. Like I said, you make this show possible. You make it free for everyone else. You allow us to do what we do, how we like to do it. Just how. Leon Carter would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a it's a Patreon pick this week. It is a pick by one of the VIPs. Xenos has forced us essentially at gunpoint to do Rush Hour 3. Yeah. Thanks, Xenos. Thanks for your support, but also I hate you. <laughs> I think I think if we were still on the old model of uh aiming for where where the rot came in and we had picked this one ourselves we would probably have gone for rush hour too i thought the same thing when i watched them a couple of weeks ago tim <laughs> i uh, i i get it i partly uh, agree there is a slippery fucking slope I, of this trilogy. oh well, well, i'm i'm absolutely <laughs> well aware and we'll get into it it's more the idea that much like the karate kid part 2 th- this story does the exact same thing and much like the Cry Kid Part Two, you could probably fix that one when we get three. Mm. But uh, two is is uh... two. I so I I had seen to jump into our no, let's history, go for it. history, history fr- film franchise. Kick us off, Tim. I had seen one and two. Uh, I have very vivid memories of one being one of those videos that during the last days of school would get put on uh, in lessons when teachers were like. We don't need to teach you anything anymore. It's you know, it's Tuesday and school finishes on Friday. Yeah, here, watch the first thirty minutes of Rush Hour, uh, and all then... the way up until the N word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, so, and I don't think I saw either of these in the cinema, um, but I I had definitely seen them before. 
enjoyed Rush Hour. Uh, I remember watching Rush Hour 2 and thinking it was fine, but not as good as the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I rewatched the entire trilogy yesterday uh, to refresh my memory of them. Did you back-to-back the entire trilogy? Not quite. Oh, okay. God. So what I did... That sounds like a painful experience. I watched, I watched Rush Hour 1, and I was like, yeah, there's elements of this that have aged poorly, but overall... It's fine. It's not Jackie Chan's best work, uh, and but it's his introduction to most West Noise. It was my introduction to him when I was, you know, a teen or whatever. Yep. Um, and then you go back and you watch his Hong Kong stuff, and you go, "Oh, this is so much better." Yep. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, but it's fine. It's good. I would even say. Uh, then I watched Rush Hour Two, and I was like, "Oh, this is." This has got some. This is rough. wearing thin very quickly. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a wobbly sequel. Yeah, yes. very definitely a wobbly sequel. Um, and it's wearing the it's wearing the skin of the first one, and it's going something's wrong in here. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an Edgar suit, very um, much so. And I was like, I got to the end of it, and I was like, oh, that was pretty. I don't think I can launch straight into Rush Hour Three, which I've not seen. Uh, but I, I just need I just need some time off before that. So then I sat down and watched Minari instead. Oh uh, shit! Which I hadn't That's seen. Wow. Damn good film. Uh, yeah, I was, it was. That was great. I was like, now I'm faith in cinema restored. Now let's You've chip away at it again. Up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought about chip away. Let's take a wrecking ball to it. Fucking yeah. hell! And then I watched Rush Hour Three, which I had not seen, and I was like, woof! This film is bad. Um, uh, unsurprisingly, I agree. Uh, <laughs> Minari is magnificent. Um, but I, I saw all three in the cinema. There, there is a significance here. I remember Rush Hour One. I'd only moved to Norwich about five, six months prior, mm-hmm. and those may not remember or know. Rush Hour was released at Christmas. I don't think I did remember. It was a that. December film in the cinema. Interesting. Um, again, if I remember correctly. Mm. And nothing necessary about that made it go, oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. There's nothing Christmassy in it. No, 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 it not at all. It ain't a Lethal Weapon or a Die Hard where it's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing, nothing. It's more just, it happened to be released around that time of year and I didn't know anyone knew Norwich and that kind of thing, you know, blah, blah. But... um. I remember watching it and enjoying it for what I would understand to be a uh, an American Jackie Chan film. So there had been like Mr. Nice Guy and Rumble in the Bronx, as well as Rumble in Hong Kong, that kind of stuff. And I'd, I was aware of like other older Jackie Chan films and I was getting into a big sort of phase and all these things I was absorbing at the time. The so diff- it wasn't your first exposure to Jackie Chan? It was not. Ah, interesting. No. Um, uh, but then, as I say, at the age of, uh, not that it actually matters, but 14, 15, whatever it was, point is that when I was of that age, I was like, I was absorbing so much content wise that, you know, uh, I-, I was exposed to tons of things. So I enjoyed it for what it was, which is an understatement. I probably really, really, really enjoyed it at the time. Would have been like, yeah, I'll watch that on DVD and again and again when it came out the previous year, the following year, sorry. Um, Rush Hour 2 came out. I saw that in the cinema. I enjoyed it again to a lesser extent thinking, mm-hmm. oh yeah, okay. I like that they went to, Ch- uh, to Hong Kong for, for a period mm-hmm. of time 
but only a little bit. Yeah. It's deceptively a lot of um, Las Vegas. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, there'll be a third one probably because these things usually always it was the mm. fated trilogy of stuff you know yeah. yeah and then it went to development hell for a long time and then finally rush hour three came out and i thought let's go oh, okay paris again for a period of time <laughs> uh half the film is well but it still gets a while to get there um and fuck me um it hit like a train and it made me initially think as i watched the film i was like have i have I grown up or something? What's <laughs> happened here? Do I hate this? Now, to be no, fair, surely not. Because I'd been going through a, a phase of like, oh, Jackie, man. Um, because he'd, he'd, in the, the, the years between yes. the original Rush Hour and even Rush Hour 2 and Rush Hour 3, he had not been putting out his best material. Fuck no. We, Which we, is we, fair because he was like mid-50s at yeah. that point. He was making some money. Uh, he's yeah. mid, he's mid-40s. Okay. He's not even 70 yet. I looked this up the other day. I was like, I thought he was well into his 70s. He's 68. Holy shit. Yeah. He did, I mean, he started damn he young. He started super yeah. young. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Because okay. he, I'm not saying he looks old, but like, this is 20 something years ago. He, like, he's, he's in a, his 40s. He's like, aging yeah. like a regular person rather than a Hollywood person. <laughs> yes. Very That's, much fair, so, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. So he'd been in some stuff uh, around that time, which was like, you know, again, some interesting stuff for Chinese cinema, some interesting stuff for American cinema, but a lot of dross and dreck and fair enough. So I was kind of like, it's probably going to be one of these things like the medallion and uh, the tuxedo, just, just, just pap basically. Yeah. But it's a rush hour film. So I'll still get something I need out of it. It will still have its formula to follow. There'll be something enjoyable. Yeah. No, no, no. It's monstrously bad. Yeah. Like, like shockingly bad. And I remember walking out of the cinema thinking, I don't understand how anyone thought that was a good idea. And I know we'll get into detail about this when we get to the synopses, but these films, Rush Hour 1 and 2, it cannot be understated how successful they were mm. uh, in terms of that they had really sort of modest budgets, like 20, 30 million, wherever it was. Yeah. And made 200, 300 million off the back of that. It was huge, mm. huge success. I have, I have some figures. Oh, let's, let's go for it. Let's go. For you now. Uh, so this is, comes from me. It was released on 4th of December, 1998 in the UK. There it is. There you go. That's Christmas release right there, baby. Yeah. Yep. I mean, to be fair, it's now just got to middle September and there's Christmas shit all over the shelves mm -hmm. in England. Yep. So, you know, <laughs> could be uh, now. It had an estimated budget. This is the first film uh, of 33 million. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And made... Two hundred and close on two hundred and forty-five million worldwide. See, that doesn't sound like much in a billion-dollar age. But you have to remember when Just Captain America was released for three hundred million, it was nearly considered... twenty-five years ago. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge, huge numbers. Yeah. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And that's yeah. nine times its budget. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Eight, eight times its budget. Huge success. Yeah. So of course, which is, it's getting a which is closing in on like horror film. Yes. Type yes. figures. <laughs> Low so, budget horror film yeah. type stuff. Do you have the numbers for the second film? I do have the numbers here. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so this uh, oh, was very uh, quick, Tim. I'm yeah, Rush Hour Two came out uh, August third. Didn't didn't go for the Christmas release yeah, again. Curious. Two thousand one. Late summer release. Yeah. Uh, estimated budget ninety million. So mm. considerably more. Yep. Got more um, jet setting in it. And a worldwide gross of uh, just shy of three hundred and fifty million. So still, that's still really a good. A lot of money. That's a lot. That's of... why I was like, it's definitely gonna have a third one. Of yeah. course it is. And yeah, then like you said, it was in development hell. Yeah. Ratner doing some X-Men shit and yeah. being a piece of shit. 
Uh, yeah, Brown and being a human garbage. We will, yes, which we, we will definitely talk to that. that. Yeah. Um, for the third one, mm-hmm. it had a budget, again estimated, of 140 million. Ooh, too much. Getting, getting for, up there for 15 years ago. That is a big fucking. That's, yeah. That's wasting that's money a on year things. before Iron yeah. Man, but I know we always talk about MCU, oh. but like they're the big budget movies that mm-hmm. happen at the moment. And they're the biggest budget movies that happen at the moment. Yeah. Mm. And that's not far and off that's a lot of MCU cheap. stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it had a worldwide gross of 260 million. See, people knew. Yeah. And there's Which, a, and a lot we, of money. As we always say, enough. once you factor in mm-hmm. marketing budget, because yep. that's yep. the production budget. Yeah. So it probably cost the studio about 280. So it yeah. did not make its money back uh i believe at the time chris tucker was the received the single highest payment for an actor of one movie yeah in history it was it was something like that bear in mind he hadn't acted basically since rush hour 2 that was his first film since rush hour 2 there you go he he negotiated basically being like good luck new line cinema making this without me i think if he if if memory serves i'm going to try and find a picture of the poster here i believe he's top billed he is yes uh, I believe he got twenty five yeah. million dollars for Rush Hour. God three. damn! Just because yeah. he's Chris Tucker, I guess. Ugh. <laughs> Fucking hell! Yeah, I yeah. mean it's astonishing. It's, it's I, 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 the, the, the Hollywood machine. I mean, to be fair, Tucker, get that money. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, fuck movie studios and all that, and yeah. how much they hoard money and don't pay actors enough in certain yeah, cases and all that kind of stuff. But he very much leveraged. Like, it's well known that him and Jackie Chan became legit friends yeah afterwards that, that and, chemistry feels natural and it was very much a like if you don't get me you also don't get jackie chan and good luck doing rush hour without us yeah they tried it was a tv series, TV series. it was terrible yeah didn't I have watched it. the first two episodes and i was like i'm good thank you yeah <laughs> i was going to ask if any of us had watched any i'd of seen the TV an episode series. of it i was yeah. like nah i watched it at the time it wasn't good no. um it got fairly decent like ratings in the u.s and stuff but not enough to keep it going. I think it was cancelled straight, it, basically again, straight away as part of its first season. Just pairing up two different... It's fish out of water shit, right? It's the pairing of two different people from different sides An of... An Asian guy and a black guy. Pretty much there it. There you go. That's, That's all, all it is. Except it's not just that. It's Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Yes, That's the whole yeah. point of this. It's these, these films, two yeah. specific individuals. Like, yeah. That's not a chemistry that can work. That's a mad pairing. Who's going to go with that? And mm. then it's like, oh shit, this actually works. That's the, the secret to rush out why it's called Russia. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's my history behind it. And while I have a cluster of uh, positive memories for the first two films in my head, Mm. um, I sort of skimmed them again. I was like, you know what? I still don't mind these. They're very much of their time. They're fine. Two does go down a a bit again, a wobbly sequel. Mm. Like, oh, I could do without that. I could, we could tweak it here and there and it'd be fine. The third one is an abomination mm. and it may sound like hyperbole like we're overreacting but it's genuinely offensive on all levels to all people yeah. and it's just and 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 i, I know i keep getting this but because jack hasn't given a chance to his, his expression but it's a film that's surprisingly dull and looks remarkably cheap for a film that's it got was, so much going on it was quite late by the time i got around to watching rush hour three uh, yeah, I struggled to stay awake for for significant chunks of. I'm hour. not surprised. Yeah, um, it was it was morbid curiosity that kept me going. 
Yep. And the requirement of watching it for this. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I can wing it after 10 minutes of shit. Yeah. Uh, Jack, what about you? What's your experience? Uh, I'm somewhere, not quite in the middle, but I didn't see, I don't think I saw any of them in the cinema. So bear in mind, I'm like 8, 12 and 16 when these films came out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I might have seen the third one. I honestly can't remember. I remember fucking loving the first one. Yeah. Because... Again, talking about my dad and his influence mm, of martial of arts films and stuff. Talked about this plenty of times, like me growing up watching a lot of martial arts films. I had already seen stuff like Police Story and Who Am I mm. and all that kind of stuff. Yes. A lot of the like introduction to Hong Kong movies are, I talked about before when we did Shanghai mm. Noon and all yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if you are a Patreon supporter, yeah. go back to our Shanghai Noon extras and it's basically just us gushing over Jackie Chan and, Pretty much. and his amazing stunt yeah. work, his stunt yep. team, his direction, his editing, everything. Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, I, we touched on my kind of origins with Jackie Chan there. And it was very much like my dad being like, this is going to be incredible. Jackie Chan doing, because Jackie Chan stuff, we, we've talked about this again before, like his stuff has always been funny. He always has that little mm. element of humor where he's a badass cop who doesn't take any shit, but he'll bump his head as he does a thing and do a little like, oh, a little like reaction. And he gets these little moments, these little perfect little I don't want any trouble. And, yeah, just exactly. that constantly. I don't exactly. want any trouble. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And he's had this such perfect timing. Obviously, Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Night's fucking awful, but yes. Shanghai Noon works because of the pairing there and again, the chemistry, the comedy, the action, all that kind of stuff. And it's a similar kind of thing here because Chan and Tucker bounce off each other so much. And apparently, like I said earlier, they became legit friends. But Jackie Chan really, really struggled working with Chris Tucker because Brett Ranner was working with Chris Tucker and basically said, like, you're a comedian, just be funny. Mm. And Jackie Chan at the time doesn't really speak English. He can pronounce English words as much as he can, but he's not very good at, like, understanding spoken English to him. Oh, and also, Chris Tucker speaks incredibly fast with a very distinctive voice. Yes. And... Jackie Chan can learn his lines, correct? But he is not going to improvise in in, in his second language, which he does not know very well. Yeah. you need just... to learn your own lines and learn your uh, uh, your opposing actor's lines to know when you come in. Correct. It's a lot and, and task. Tucker just improvised loads of it. Yeah, of course. At, at Ranta's instruction, apparently. And the uh, "Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth?" is a quote, like an in joke, because that's what Jackie Chan said to Chris Tucker. I don't understand the words <laughs> coming out of your mouth. You need to speak more slowly so I can understand you. <laughs> English is not my first language. And then they turned that into the character and brought obviously the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's famously talking of outtakes, we've mm-hmm. we've touched on our, pa- our own Patreon outtakes quite a few times. The outtakes in these movies are infamous because it was like one of the first times Jackie Chan does all of his cool stunt stuff. He's famous for doing all this kind of stuff and having those outtakes mm. in the credits. But this was the big Western release and then they included mm. all of the outtakes. And that was my first time like seeing that in a Western movie and mm. being like, oh, wow, they're doing all the jokes and stuff. And like mm. Chris Tucker saying shishini at the end. And mm. I, I've been He's, speaking this whole time in my yeah. second language. <laughs> he can't say three words in Chinese yeah, and all this the, kind of stuff. from uh, Rush Hour 3 where he can't say uh, if, if, a fish? El Pollo Loco. El Pollo Loco. And then Jackie Chan says, 
El Pollo Loco. It's just, ah, ah, yeah. Jackie can say it. Jackie yeah. can say it. But it's all, it's, there's no hostility. There's genuinely a nice rubbing. They're both trying to get these things out. It's yeah. fucking annoying. It's tongue twister shit. Yeah. And again, for, for, for Jackie Chan, it's a second language. Um, Jackie Chan speaks like three or four different languages, I think. Yeah, crazy. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's mad. And I remember like, find the first movie is so quotable, especially, I um, was probably like 12. 13 something like that at the time so this is like i'm loving martial arts films i'm well into my comedies this is hitting the sweet spot watched it probably for the first time in 15 years probably at least like two weeks ago been mm. prepped for this and i was like yeah oh <laughs> this hasn't aged well at all no jackie chan just said the n-word <laughs> like twice <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah brett ratner got jackie chan to say the n-word in That's, a 12. That, in a PG-13. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's fucking PG-13. And there's all kinds... They say shit multiple times. There's like all kinds of stuff going 90s, on. 90s, man. Yeah. Wild times. <laughs> yeah, the, the late 90s is such a different time. As I always maintain, 2000s is so much worse. As, <laughs> as we will get into. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very much so. And I remember like enjoying Rush Hour 2 for the most part and not really thinking about it. And then as we as we kind of talked about between the three of us, like going back and watching... The second and the third, like, wow, this trilogy really dives off a cliff. Yeah. First one is mm. so clearly the best. And it was such a lightning in a bottle kind of moment where they just try to recapture that magical chemistry they mm. have. Like, just put Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker on screen. They'll be funny. They've got chemistry. Mm. It doesn't matter who else is on it or what else is going on or what three different subplots we've got going on. It'll be fine. We'll do a film about money laundering. Nobody will notice. Like, <laughs> what? Mm. Be, another fish hour. We'll send them to Hong Kong. Like, mm. I, I get it. But Crashing like, Tiger just made all the stuff. Let's mm. get let's get Zhang Ziyi and make her the yeah. bad guy. It's yeah. Like, sure. Okay. Uh, now, visually, there is such a difference. If you all you need to do is watch the trailers, because the cinematography. I don't just mean the way it looks, but the way it's shot and directed. Because it's clear that Ratner's almost taken a step back and back and back. Mm. For the first one, it's like I don't know action, I don't mm. know kung fu stuff. I'll just let the team do it. Yeah, because when it comes to the fight scenes, it's well directed. Yes, it's clear. It stays on it like the usual Jackie Chan stuff. Yes. Second film, same shit. Third film. The action is boring. Yes. And you're like, how is this dull? <laughs> yeah. And it's well, that fucker go off and do an X-Men thing. And I know action now. Yeah. So Brett Ratner got Jackie Chan on specifically because he's a huge Jackie Chan fan. Sure. Absolutely adored all of his 80s stuff and some of his 90s stuff and was like, I want to work with Jackie Chan. I want to bring in Chan and his stunt team and all of his choreography and all mm. that kind of stuff. And they're the experts. They know what they're doing. I'll leave them to it because the right mindset. Because yeah, piece of shit, but right mindset. Yeah, there. piece of shit. Brett Ratner did actually have some good ideas, and kind of credit where credit is due to an absolute asshole. Mm. But there are moments where, like I said, I think that first film really is that kind of lightning in a bottle moment where yeah, they they happen to line up the right people doing the right thing at the right time and be like, you've got Jackie Chan and like okay, she's like one of his big Western breakout roles and like. Oh, you're bringing in all of his stunt team and his like choreographers mm. and stuff as well. Yeah. So he can basically direct his own action. Mm. What's well, a fucking brilliant idea? It's, okay, cool. Looking at Jackie Chan's like filmography around that period mm. is so fascinating because there's that moment where he starts kind of 
having a presence in Western cinema in American cinema with stuff like Rumble in the Bronx, where it is still very much his team from Hong Kong, all the people, all the directors that he knows working on it um, in a very low budget way, in a not with major studios um, kind of approach. And you also get stuff like around this period, around the time of the first rush hour and, and after it, you get stuff like Who Am I and Gorgeous, which is, again, working with those same teams, mm-hmm. but didn't have any of the kind of the the brouhaha around it. It didn't have the, the major studio support. Agreed. And those are still good films. Yes. Like you, yeah, you go yeah. watch, like, Who Am I? It's great. Mm. Um, and then you get the, these films, and you get, you get your Shanghai Noon, which, again, also is that kind of lightning in a bottle type thing mm-hmm. and then we start getting into the medallion and the the tuxedo and stuff yes. like that and around the world in eight days and, and it's increasingly bollocks. working with western filmmakers who do not respect his process and the time that it takes to get these scenes look looking good um and it it, it just there's a reason why that quality drops off even though the budget's for those type of films are so much higher yeah. than stuff like Who Am I and Gorgeous, it's because that those films are using every penny they have to buy more films so that they can keep recording uh, and make sure that they get it perfect. And the big production, the big Hollywood productions, the major studio productions are spending it on other shit and not giving it the time and focus Going it up needs. people's noses. Yeah, what? <laughs> Well, there was an interesting thing I was learning about the process of it. Surprise, surprise. I'm also doing the synopses and the pitch, so I've yes. researched the fuck out of this. Hello, it's me. And Jackie Chan was talking about his experience, again, first time working properly with like Western Studios and all this kind of stuff, mm. and his experience there and how much it differed to what he was doing in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And the big difference is he was wired up the whole time. Mm. All of the stunts, Jackie Chan maybe like the definitive say for like tom cruise these days but tom cruise is inspired by jackie chan he's said that in interviews yeah to do all your own stunts mm. jackie chan famously did all of his own stunts for Put years his life at risk there are some fucking yeah. things that you think are really simple and boring he jumps off a bridge onto a moving truck you know like, i've seen that a million times like mm. That is a real bridge and a real truck and yeah. that is a road where they have not stopped the traffic yeah if jackie chan falls off he gets hit by the car behind him and he dies. Mm. They had like two takes at this thing. Mm. He broke his foot on the first take and they postponed for six months. And then he jumps in and goes, we didn't have the option to postpone here. When you're working with a big studio in America, you cannot do that. Yep. In Hong Kong, I injure myself all the time. We just stop. Yeah. Pause for six weeks. I heal up. Pause for six months. I heal up. It doesn't matter because yep. I am the guy that is driving this ship. Mm-hmm. And I am essentially the star and the the whole yeah. thing. That is not how Hollywood studios work. Mm-hmm. They will not stop for anything. So yeah. if Jackie Chan is injured, they are losing money day by day by day mm-hmm. because of all the union stuff and mm-hmm. all the people behind the scenes they have to continue paying while mm-hmm. Jackie Chan is injured. None of that is a factor in Hong Kong. And he was like, it was really weird having a safety net and having mm-hmm. wires and mm-hmm. harnesses and all this kind of stuff. He was really thrown off like the first few times he did big stunts with all this kind of actual health and yeah. safety precautions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which, just be fair, is like, yeah, they probably should have that in Hong Kong. Yeah. It's incredibly dangerous yeah. to yes, not do it. Absolutely. And, and obviously part of that is a function of like 
the insurance industry that the Hollywood studios have to, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, deal with and uh, stuff like the that. The Hollywood but studio would rather tank a film entirely than postpone it for X amount of months. Yes. Hello, Warner Brothers. Co- Warner Brothers and COVID in general proved yeah. that. It's like, yeah. how much are we going to lose if we just uh, keep it on the shelf? Uh, X million. Right, shelf it. What, what? We lose less money by just bending it now. Slightly do that. Then. Right, it offers yeah. a tax thing. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah, you then get a. It was the whole thing with Batgirl. Was the whole like, oh, you write it off with a. So you get like yeah. a reduction in tax. So you've already spent ninety mil, ninety million, but it's gonna. You get twenty percent of that back from the tax if you cancel it now. But if you release it, you have to pay the licensing fees to the cinemas, which costs another hundred million. That. Mm. Fuck it, let's just bin it. We'll get like eighteen million back and then hope for the best. And like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. And yeah, uh, Jackie Chan was talking about that process. It was like working with such higher budgets and all this kind of stuff. He was almost like overwhelmed and thrown off by it all at first. Yeah, of course, of course. And you see again going back to those outtakes, like him just doing silly little mistakes and stuff, hmm. like flicking a gun with his foot or trying to Flick that table up and smack himself in the oh, face yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Legit knocks himself out, by the way. Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. And he said it was, he was incredibly lucky he didn't have a major injury on the first Rush Hour movie that didn't just kill the franchise dead. And it was mm-hmm. like, yes, you'd be fucked. Because you can't make this film without Jackie Chan, basically. Yeah. No, no. So, and, and Hollywood no. will not, like we say, delay. Wait, wait to, for to, no man, not yeah. even Jackie Chan in the 90s. Yeah. No. So it's it's a weird... It's a weird franchise that exists and very much, as you guys have both said, lightning in a bottle. Mm. The first one, yes, okay, lots of it's very aged very badly, but then a lot of films from, in inverted commas, the past, mm. I'm including 2020 in that, um, have aged <laughs> badly. Um, so that's not me writing off some awful shit, but it's the fact that the one that's nearer to us is so much worse on so many levels. Yes. So, Again, talking about the direction for a second, but also the writing, the performances, the jokes, all of it is bottom of the barrel bullshit. Um, hideously unfunny. The most punching down you can think of. Mm. Um, I think we should probably crack into the synopsis. I was going to say, it's, it feels three like it's synopsis through. time, yeah. Yeah, and I think for those of listening going, oh, these sound like they're all right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Although I will say, before we get to it, because just to... To segue in perfectly for you, oh. I cannot stress how uh, poignantly timed Rush Hour, for lack of a better word, one, was because the start of the film with Tom Wilkinson, yeah. mm. uh, fresh out of full money. Yeah. yeah. What um, a weird double bill that is. Needed a, 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 an evil bad guy from, mm. from Britain. It was all about the Hong Kong handover. Yes. From, from the set, year before. It's set on yeah. the final day of yeah. the British occupation of Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah then, it, then it, it, it jumps forward a bit, but it, that, yes. that scene is set, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, is, that, it's just the idea of like, this is now. This is yeah. within our lifetimes. Yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's the yeah. same way that, this is a fucking weird comparison. It's the same way when certain things like uh, certain Bond films, for argument's sake, will feel oddly either ahead of their time uh obviously very backward in many ways but yeah. um like oh shit good point i mean for example quantum of solace and die another day bad bond films but Agreed. what's the two things quantum of solace is about uh an oil baron buying up all the water and you're like 
That's yeah. That's evil. Yeah. That's that's what's happening now. That's yeah. our actual problem. Uh, and yeah. Dying of the Day is water like, rights is a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely. And Dying of the Day is about North Korea. I don't think people knew about North Korea outside of like Mash. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, the demilitarized zone. The what? The landmark. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. North Korea. Who's North Korea? It's 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 like they will be the big bad guy of a while. It's like, yeah, sure, whatever you say. Can't it's you... uh, in a weird comparison, and I only say this because I saw this film quite recently. It's uh, it reminded me a little bit, or the, the discussion reminds me a little bit of uh, Kimmy, the Steven Soderbergh film that came out recently. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, which is the plot involves COVID and mm. and acknowledges it, right? Without it being, it's not one of these COVID movies. It's not, no, it's not. It's not contagion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's not. It's not that one that's um, the Judd Apatow one, where it's all oh, the, the yeah. film of people in lockdown or whatever. It's the it, bubble or whatever. It's yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but it's very much just like a no. This is happening in this period, and right. so this is a fact of yes. life, and it does have some imp- impact on the plot, but not in. It's not the core of the plot. It's time capsule setting stuff as much exactly. as it is character mindset rather than this is all we're going to talk about. Yeah. yeah. I get that exactly, yeah. So Jack. Hello. <clears throat> walk us through many hours of rushing. I've got a lot of talking to do this episode, so bear with me, listeners. We start off, as we mentioned, on the final day of British occupation of Hong Kong for reasons we'll get into. Mm-hmm. We introduce Detective Inspector Lee of the Royal Hong Kong Police Force leading a raid at the Hong Kong Wharf hoping to arrest the unidentified anonymous crime lord Jun Tao. Jun Tao! Get used to that word. Jun Tao! But he only finds Sang, played by Ken Leung. The, the wonderful Ken Leung. Is, isn't, isn't Ken Leung just great? And he's good. Barely used in this fucking movie. <laughs> he's rarely used in a lot of things. Yeah. Sang is Jun Tao's right-hand man, and he escapes by being a sneaky little right-hand man, basically. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of running in this movie. Him and his, him and his blonde buzz cut. Oh, man, what a cool haircut. Straight out of 1998. Yeah, oh, I was going to say, Tim says, that's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee does manage to recover some treasures stolen by Jun Tao, however, which he presents as a farewell victory gift to his departing superiors, Chinese Consul Han and British Police Commander Thomas Griffin. Just don't talk about the British, it's fine. <laughs> oh, wait. We'll yeah. talk a lot about the British later on. Yeah, I'll come up. After Han takes up his new diplomatic post in Los Angeles, his daughter, Su Young, is kidnapped by Sang. Mm. He's followed him. While she listens to Mariah Carey. Yeah, she's singing along to Mariah Carey. Because, yeah. Corrupted by the West. Hey, that's, pre- <laughs> that's pretty much the vibes, isn't it? Han calls Lee to assist in the case, but the FBI, afraid Lee's involvement could cause an international incident, Horn him off to the LAPD, and more specifically, Detective James Carter, hmm. who is tricked into babysitting Lee, essentially, as punishment for botching a previous sting operation. He goes undercover. He's a terrible undercover cop. Yeah. And it all goes horribly wrong. Two policemen get shot, but he manages to arrest a guy and blow up a car. He, he's the kind of classic it's American a- cop where... I mean, actually, this we should be briefly. Jackie Chan is the quintessential Hong Kong cop yeah. dedicated to his job. Amazingly good at everything. His life is this. Mm. And um, Tucker's character is uh, a sort of remnant of the 80s of like, listen, man, 
It may not be pretty, but I get it done. Yeah. But, but it's also like, we can't have that kind of cop now because yeah. Rodney King's only been there a few years ago. Yeah. Let's go with the, you know, an African-American dude who's charming. That'll make his awful crimes yes. better. His, his terrible police work. His, his police work. His reckless disregard yeah. for public safety. Yeah. His sexual harassment. All of his stuff will be fine because he's not a white dude. He's like, yeah. Sure. So to the surprise of absolutely nobody, just to spin off on a slight little tangent here, Chris Tucker was nowhere near the first choice for James Carter. Oh. I don't know that. I, I think I knew that, but I have no idea if, you, if you've yeah, got the list of oh, I've got I've got three names that are oh, famous. Oh, three I, names. I, yeah, I heard he wasn't the first choice. I had no idea who they were. Go ahead. Have a guess at the, the obvious. Eddie Murphy. Correct. Yeah. Because it's fucking Axel Foley, basically. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Eddie Murphy <laughs> like, could oh, Let's just do Beverly Hills Cop. With Jackie Chan, yeah. I guess. Like, what? Yeah, I don't think that would work. I don't know if uh, they were planning to do, like, it's Axel, F- like, Beverly yeah, Hills make, Cop. Yeah, actually make it a Beverly cross Hills Cop. Cross the Hong Kong police? I don't know. So, uh, the other two are even more mental. Okay. Um, I think the the least mental of the next two. Martin Lawrence was the other choice. Makes sense. Thinking about yeah, bad boys sure. and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, sure, whatever. Fucking Wesley Snipes was the other choice. Ha! <laughs> This is this oh, is Blade era Red I Wesley Snipes. I cannot see Wesley Snipes. He's not that kind. He's a very serious he's, man. He has such yeah. a different energy it's, to Chris it's Tucker. It's two straight men sort of thing. Yeah. It's like, who's the straight man this one? I am. Yeah. And you? I'm Jackie Chan. It's like, well, can you? Um, I can't imagine Wesley Snipes doing any of Tucker's lines. No, no, no. He'd be no, a different cop entirely. He would be, he'd be, entirely, he would, he'd be like... It, Stallone and Demolition to, Man. Yeah, you would have Can to. Can you understand the words coming out of my mouth? It just doesn't have the like high energy. High. It, it I mean, I be guess full high pitched. Like, like, you want to say the words coming out of my mouth, motherfucker? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess if he was, if he was channeling Demolition Man and was basically Simon Phoenix, but now he's yeah. a police officer. Yeah. Maybe you I could guess. kind of see that, but it, I feel like they would be more inclined to make Wesley Snipes' character very serious yeah. and very dedicated, and then up the buffoon clowniness yeah. of of he, jackie chan you know, jackie chan was chun lee in i think city hunter yes <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Okay, okay um and 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 make him more of the like oh we yeah he's not he's not the top cop we've sent on this he's he's a bumbling idiot he's a bumbling yeah. idiot who's bumbled yeah. his way into yeah, yeah. exactly uh, see the medallion or the tuxedo or whatever the yeah. fuck it is yeah yeah or shanghai or, noon for that case oh, actually shanghai he's, noon. he's exactly. a bit of a yeah fuck up in that one true exactly. true Anyway, Carter takes Lee on a sightseeing tour. Maybe that's why it's called Rush Hour. They go on a bus. Keeping him away from the embassy while contacting informants about the kidnapping. Lee makes his own way to the Chinese consulate, basically escaping and dangling off signs and all kinds of stuff. He hangs on the Hollywood sign, doesn't he? He does indeed. Slap that in the trailer, everybody. (laughs) Where Han and the FBI await news about his daughter. He just kicks the ass of all the dudes. Yeah. With a steering wheel attached to his hand. He does. Yeah. While arguing with Special Agent Russ, fucking Russ, Carter accidentally negotiates with Sang by picking up the phone as a joke and then realizing he actually answered to the actual kidnappers, arranging a $50 million ransom drop. The FBI traces the call to a warehouse where a team of agents are killed by an obvious trap. <laughs> it's, it's explosives. Yep. They're like, oh, we better go to this abandoned building. Send everyone in. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to explode, isn't it? I've seen speed. And it does. Exactly. Lee and Carter chase Sang. They see him like sneak off in the distance, but he escapes, but also drops the detonator that looks like a screwdriver. 
Yeah, it Carl does. It looks, it looks, it looks like a, screwdriver. it looks like a, the American version of a sonic screwdriver. <gasps> oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Carter's colleague, bomb expert in the LAPD, Johnson, who he treats just the worst because Carter is just the worst. Sexually harasses, demeans. <sighs> yeah, fucks up her belittles like yeah, bomb her training exam. and stuff. Yeah. And traces it to Clive, the guy he got arrested earlier, played by... Oh, fuck, what's his name? Go on. It's, um... Fucking... Uh, the other Reservoir pen. Dogs. The other Penn brother. Yeah, Chris Penn. Chris Penn, there, there you go. go. Oh, it is Chris Penn. It is Chris Penn. Before oh, it... God damn, it's Chris Penn. Yeah. The, the late Chris Penn, who died not too long I would say he died... He died at 40 in like 2005. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, Couldn't make it back for Rush Hour 3. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> that's, a, that's a reference to an outtakes joke that they do. Damn, he ain't coming back for Rush Hour 3. Lee presses Clive into revealing his business relationship with Jun Tao, who he meets regularly at a restaurant in Chinatown. Because that narrows it down. He says like some specific name. I'm like, that. I feel like that doesn't narrow it down, but apparently it doesn't. Nah. Carter goes to the restaurant alone and sees surveillance video of the supposed Jun Tao kidnapping Su Young. We know that's Thomas Griffith, the, the British police commander guy. Yeah. That's, that's a full Monty. But that's Ca Tom Wilkinson. But, but Carter hasn't met him yet, so he doesn't make a connection. And then it becomes uh -huh. the whole thing. Uh -huh. Lee arrives and saves Carter because he gets in a lot of trouble by trying to be cool and negotiate his way through stuff and it all failing. Well, they're taken off the case because the FBI blames them for the botched ransom drop. It all goes horribly wrong, and uh, yeah, mm -hmm. they, they fuck up, and it all goes, all goes pear-shaped. However, Carter refuses to give up and appeals to Johnson, again, treats her like shit and then needs her help yeah, yeah. for assistance to sneak on board Lee's plane, because he's being carted off back to Hong Kong, where he persuades the Hong Kong detective to help stop Jun Tao together, despite their directives. Griffin later involves himself in the case for some reason. I guess because he realizes they're on to him. I'm not entirely sure. He just seems to sort of wiggle he, his way in. He it. shows up because it, it's time for them to realize the that point, he's the, the bad guy. Exactly the reason why. <laughs> Revealing more about the Hong Kong police past and with Juntao Syndicate and implores Han to pay the ransom to avoid any further bloodshed. Like, oh yeah, I know loads about Hong Kong. Wink. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. I just, you know, I spent a lot of time there. You saw me in the beginning of the movie, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> At the opening of a Chinese art exhibition in the LA Convention Center, overseen by both Han and Griffin, con conveniently enough, the now $70 million ransom, because they fucked it up and it's gone even higher, Carter and Lee and Johnson all come in disguised as guests. Carter orders the guests to evacuate for safety. He climbs up on a thing. It's like, ah, oh, there's a bomb scare. And then nobody really reacts at first. Yeah. He has his, his, it, it makes so much sense that Eddie Murphy was the original uh, cast for this because his methods are basically exactly the same as Axel Foley's, kind of, yeah. which are either pretend oh no i'm actually a bad guy i'm in on it i'm part yeah. of your gang and like surprise i'm not yeah um or hey i'm here i'm a police officer i'm taking charge everybody look at me and and do a thing and and that's that's exactly part a of distraction my, which is actually a distraction oh, for a plan. thing it's like they, yeah. he only has two plans really 
It's like throw, throw my weight around or pretend I'm on your side. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. As I said, Carter orders the guests to evacuate, pissing off the FBI because they think they're finally making the ransom drop. But Lee catches Griffin accepting the remote detonator from Sang. Catches him red-handed. Oh, Shit. my God. Lee and Johnson finally realize that Griffin is Jun Tao when Carter recognizes him from the Chinatown surveillance tapes. Shit. It's like they didn't have a conversation previously. <laughs> Griffin slash Jun Tao threatens to detonate a bomb vest attached to Su Young and demands that the ransom be paid in full as compensation for the priceless Chinese artifacts which Lee recovered from his raid all the way at the beginning of the film. Shit. Carter sneaks out, locates Su Young in a van and drives it into the building within range of Griffin preventing him from setting off the vest because he has like a opposite of the thing where like if you're a certain distance away from the thing it explodes it's like opposite speed in a way <laughs> yeah like, proximity but reversed yes reverse proximity explosion thing it, it's unnecessarily complicated it's, it's just i thing. mean it's also that he just doesn't want to blow himself up yeah obviously that yeah but like <laughs> sure Johnson gets the vest off Su Young while Griffin heads to the roof with the bag of money. Lee takes the vest and pursues Griffin while Carter shoots Sang dead in a gunfight. Because Ken Lung doesn't get much to do in this movie. Poor, poor Ken Lung. Yeah. He has to wipe himself off, though, because he's dead. Pretty much. <laughs> Lee has a brief altercation with Griffin, but culminates in both of them dangling from like a pillar in the rafters somewhere. Griffin falls to a death when the vest straps tear that he's holding onto while attached to Lee. Mm. And when Lee falls, Carter somehow manages to catch him with a giant flag. Everything's fine. He's safe. Yeah. Yep. Get used to them being saved by giant flags. That'll come yeah, back. Yeah. That is a thing. <laughs> the, uh, I'll tell you a fun fact at the end of the synopses. Uh, we'll get to that. Okay, okay. Han and Suyong are finally reunited. Also... Why is Lee so, like, enamoured with this kid? I think he's meant to have been, like, mentoring her in martial arts and stuff. He is. But they There's never... a connection there. So like, he is mentoring her in martial arts. They talk about that. They don't have it but it's, it's in Hong Kong. I, I but... get the it's his daughter vibes <laughs> when he's like, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm doing this all for the little girl. Yeah. I'm like, if, if he, are you, though? Like, yeah. If we, if we just say, like, oh, he's his... Um, uh, Goddaughter. God. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Exactly. China doesn't have that. Yeah. So it's like, well, Kong doesn't specifically. So it's like, Could well, we don't have a phrase that's just, he's just a good person. Like, it could have okay. done with another minute of just him being good friends with her and yeah. like looking yeah. out for her and, and make it clear that they have It comes a off connection. as a bit weird. It is a bit weird. But Especially again, it's also that, it's that, it's, it's the ultimate um, perfect, you know, Hong Kong cop. It's like, mm. why would I protect this kid? Yeah. Innocent. It's like, yeah, I get it. You're f infallible. You're yeah. amazing. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Han decides that Carter and Lee need to go on vacation to Hong Kong because apparently he has that power as a console. <laughs> just like, oh, by the way, cops, he's just gonna, lot... they're just going to have a week off. Like, There's okay. a lot of very, like, fuzzy, like, authority jurisdiction yeah. and authority very and just so. like, well, I can order that. It's like, can you? Yeah. Diplomatic <laughs> immunity. <laughs> Pretty much. Before Carter leaves, Agent Russ and Agent Winnie offer him a position in the FBI, which he refuses, because he's LAPD for life. Dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Especially considering that it wasn't just the FBI that screwed him around, it was the LAPD. LAPD as well, yes. Yep. Dumb. He's, he's mistreated by that precinct, because he's an asshole. Yes. To mm -hmm. basically everybody. Yeah. Finally, 
We see Lee leaving on a plane. And Carter joins him. They're off to Hong Kong together. And Carter finds out that it's a 15-hour flight. And apparently sat next to Jackie Chan. Multiple award-winning artist Jackie Chan singing War by Edwin Starr. Yep. Jackie Chan has albums out, by the way. Oh, I know. I know. I'll take the best-selling artist in the history of China. I'll take Jackie Chan's hint of singing in the first films over whatever the fuck happens in the third one. Oh yeah, I would Christ. say. I, I would we'll say that the, the the subsequent films, Jackie Chan's a better singer than Chris Tucker is. Chris Tucker Ooh. is was Thinks very he's a good confidence. So he was very yes. good friends with Michael Jackson. Yes, another problematic figure to attach very true. tangentially to this fucking movie, and basically was inspired by Michael Jackson to do a lot of dancing and singing. Yeah. Even though he's not one. Anyway, yeah. Rush Hour 2, 2001. I'd give Rush Hour 1 a 3 out of 5. Back, back in the day, it was a 4 out of 5 for me. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. But I think now I, I think, think pro- I problematic yeah. things now. Yeah. I think it, it, it coasts along so much on its charm and its energy. And when you look back at it and actually just kind of lay it out as a film, it's very like, oh, they don't really give. Jackie Chan that many like good fight scenes for the fact he that he makes Jackie them work Chan. but they're he not make, he makes them work and like there's no big like the the big action finale is like him hanging off a thing rather than him having to actually fight it and this is this that's, is a problem that he faces the theme for all three movies yeah, yeah this is a problem that he true. faces over and over again in like western cinema is that they'll have him like the the finale has to be like oh the bad guy gets blown up or the bad guy falls over a thing and it's not just yeah then we give Jackie Chan twelve minutes to kick the shit okay, out of this get, guy we're, we're gonna have a big final battle who's the bad guy in this uh, it's Tom Wilkinson yes um, it's also the problem is that yeah Jackie Chan would have someone he could fight opposite with uh, which we'll get to in the third film because yeah. they're like oh hello yeah mm. Mm. Uh, but it's it's like who can we give who's gonna be a recognizable star we can use. Yeah, that's the thing, is that they want someone with star power. Yeah. Or just a bit of weight and gravitas for a Western audience effectively. Spoiler alert for my pitch. Oh, hello. I introduced somebody who can fight Jackie Chan. There we go, that's good. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Off to a good start. I bet it's Donnie Yen. Anyway. <laughs> Rush Hour 2, 2001. Carter is in Hong Kong on holiday with Lee. Their best buds just chilling out. Yeah. It's like four days after the first film. Yep. Having a great time. Yep. It's it's three years later, but four days later. And then they do six years later, which is also three years later in the third one. Dumb. Time is oh, a flat circle. we will get into fucking time shenanigans. We certainly yep. will. The holiday is put on hold, however, when a bomb at the US consulate. They fucking love the word consulate in these oh, movies. Oh, man. They, I, it sounds important. I think yeah. this was the first time I'd ever heard that word when I watched these movies. <laughs> I assumed council and console were the same word for whatever reason, because mm. I was fucking 12 and I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I feel like George Lucas might have snuck it in a Star Wars at some point. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. The consulate. Possibly. It's all nonsense. It's, it's, no, it's nothing. Yeah. It, or more accurately, it doesn't reflect reality. No. It's just a word that goes. Ooh, it sounds yeah. important. It sounds politically it, important. Yeah. Exactly. A bomb goes off at the US consulate and kills two undercover US agents. Lee is assigned to the case and discovers that his late father's police partner, Ricky Tan. Oh, Ricky Tan. Ricky Tan. Ricky Tan. Is somehow involved because they're very wishy washy about that. 
Yep. Someone from my past. Pretty much. <laughs> Lee and Carter attempt to question Ricky, resulting in a brawl with his goons. Because he has a bunch of goons. <laughs> the US Secret Service, led by Agent Sterling this time, and the Hong Kong police force fight over the jurisdiction of the case. Yay! Bureaucracy. bureaucracy that's just what we need shove that jurist my diction crap up your ass <laughs> Pretty thank much. you the matrix lee's office is also bombed they love bombs consulates and jurisdiction discussions in these fucking movies they also love some other stuff but we'll get into that as the synopsis hits upon it indeed and lee unaware carter has left the building thinks carter has been blown to pieces oh well but they cross Paths once again at a party on Rick's yacht, where Ricky scolds them. Sorry, Ricky scolds his underling, Hugh Lee. Lee and Carter confront Ricky, who claims he's being framed by his enemies and asks for their protection. But Hugh Lee shoots him, turns on him, and escapes. Sterling holds Lee responsible for Ricky's death and orders him off the case. Carter is ordered back to LA, but convinces Lee to return with him as well. Carter assures Lee that every large criminal operation... I do like this line, to be fair. Yeah. Every large criminal organization has a rich white guy behind it. And in this case, he believes that man is Stephen Rain, a billionaire he saw acting suspiciously <laughs> at the party. I, I actually... He's I have not wrong. A very vivid memory of seeing this for the first time uh, in high school around a friend's mm -hmm. house. Um, and we were watching it with his dad for some reason. Um, and I remember hearing that line and thinking it was funny. Um, and then it, the, the dad who had not heard it made us rewind and watch that bit again because he was like, that is funny. Nice. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like one of the good jokes in this film. Correct. Agreed. They are few and far between. I, I don't know, like someone saying, rewind that. Yeah. You need to appreciate what just happened. It's a, it's a, very, it's a very dad move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kids, you didn't pay enough attention. We're going again. Not cool action scenes. That was a funny joke. Yeah. Hear the funny joke again, kids. It's a commentary joke. That's why you need it. You need to understand geopolitical It tickled stuff. me. You need to understand why. It will tickle yeah. you too in 10 to 15 years <laughs> when you're old enough. That sounds like such a weird threat. <laughs> something Michael Jackson used to say. Fucking hell. Staking out rain towers, they spot Isabella Malina, whom Carter met on Ricky's yacht, because of course he yeah, did. Yeah, sure. She is receiving a delivery from Hugh Lee. Mistaking the package for another bomb because everything is a fucking bomb in this second movie. Lee and Carter try to intervene, but Melina reveals she's another undercover. Everyone is undercover. Everything has a bomb and everyone is undercover. It so wants there wheels to be intrigue wheels. in these films. They and really just... want to be like cool and like infernal affairs about the whole thing. <laughs> oh yeah. But it's just not. But she is looking into Rain's money laundering. Hello, villain B-plot, where they talk a lot about counterfeiting and... Super dollars. Specifically how <laughs> super dollars work. Super dollars. Fucking super dollars. Lee and Carter visit Kenny, Carter's informant who runs a gambling den in the back of his Chinese restaurant. He tells them about a customer with a suspicious amount of hundred dollar bills. Which are likely to be Rain's counterfeits. The old super dollars, if you will. Of course. They trace the money to a bank, but are captured by Hugh Lee. That's a fucking theme as well. Yeah, that's they true. think they're solving a thing, then they get captured, then they escape, then they get captured again. Taken to Las Vegas for some reason, because casinos, I guess, Lee and Carter escape again, realizing that Rain is laundering the money through 
the Red Dragon Casino. Because we gotta have a Chinese casino in Las Vegas. Why not? It's a thing. I, this film is not plotted well. But I do wanna... <laughs> they make a whole point about how it's it's like using genuine um, uh, US uh, like printing plates and yes. it's a genuine American they sh- printing press. They show press. you the plates, folks. It's a genuine printing press that got you know sold to some like the Shah of Iran or something like that. All this kind of stuff. These super dollars, they're completely indistinguishable, except they're using the wrong ink, so when you burn them, it burns red rather than black. Correct. If they're so good, why do they need to launder them through the casino, which is a, a lot of effort and loses the money? Yeah. Why don't they just... Shut up, Tim! Spend <laughs> them. <laughs> That's too sensible! <laughs> Tim, did you not hear about the intricacy of this plot? But the Tim, intrigue and developments. Then you wouldn't hear the phrase super dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's entirely fair. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. bad, Tim. I hate this counterfeit subplot for the record, which turns out to be the A plot. It's like, oh, great. Yeah. At the Red Dragon, Melina points Lee to the engraving plates. Here we go. Fucking hell. Used to print the counterfeit money while Carter creates a distraction. Fucking same thing again. Carter creates a distraction because that's all he does. True. Hugh Lee captures Lee again. <laughs> taping an explosive in his mouth before bringing him to Ricky. When Ricky departs, Melina tries to arrest Yu Lee, but is shot, and Lee removes the explosive, and the pair escape. Hooray. Carter fights Yu Lee, taking her out with a spear, kind of accidentally. These films have a lot of Chris Tucker dispatching women in quite violent ways. We'll get to that in the third one, but it's off screen, but fuck me, that's gruesome. Um, Oh, I know exactly what you're referring to. Fucking hell, yeah. Uh, Fun fact, Lee doesn't kill anyone in these movies. It's all Carter and the other people. Jackie Chan is non-lethal in these (laughs) films. Yeah, that that fits his character. Even the people he, like, knocks off of things, he tries to then save, and then they decide to kill themselves. Because it's the police story thing. It's, it's, It's the classic... Don't make me shoot you. I'm not. You're not going to shoot me. I know. I know. When you fall off a building, I'm gonna throw you a rope because I. And it's it's the the, the yeah. Batman yeah. doesn't kill sort of mindset. He's the noble. Yes. At the end of yeah. the day and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, Carter fights Hugh Lee, taking her out with a spear, as I said, while Lee pursues Ricky in the penthouse. Rain prepares to escape with the plates, but Ricky fatally stabs him and turns on him. Lee and Carter confront Ricky Tan, who admits to finally killing Lee's father. Ah, because they had the whole my dad's could beat up your dad conversation in the mm, first one yes they did that's the whole thing and then in the third one leaves an orphan i think which doesn't explain anything yes yeah <laughs> in the ensuing scuffle ricky falls to his death as well so this is the theme i was hinting at earlier all of the main villains fall to their death in these movies so that the heroes aren't directly responsible some for real, just straight up some real disney people. bullshit yeah. it's some real it's family friendly pg-13 yeah. mm. Rated 12 nonsense where, like, Tarzan Carter shoots a couple of people, Jackie Chan doesn't kill anybody, Mm, and a couple of bad guys fall to their death, I guess, conveniently. Frollos all over. Yeah. Pretty much. Hewley enters with, say it with me, folks, a bomb! (laughs) Because everything's a fucking bomb in this movie. Forcing Lee and Carter to escape on a makeshift zipline. They do the whole, like, down the lanterns thing and Mm. it's a zipliney thing. Because it's China, they, using their Las Vegas, using their uh, new 
suit jackets that they've just bought from yeah. horrendous gay stereotype Jeremy Piven Correct. in an uncredited cameo. Yes, who feels now you've said Beverly Hills Cop, I feel like is yeah. a weird also. Yeah, it's like this is the second film. You definitely didn't write this to be a Beverly Hills Cop. I don't know. There's a whole load of bollocks and it's terrible. Yeah. And awful. But there we go. And and Ratner has his fucking hands all And it's over fucking it. Piven as well. Yeah. Piven, yeah. Later at the airport, Melina thanks Lee for his work on the case and kisses him. Oh, Lee My gets a God. Girl, but Carter doesn't. Planning to go their separate ways, Lee and Carter actually kind of change their mind when Carter reveals all the money he won at the casino and the pair head to New York to indulge themselves. Have a good time. Because God forbid they have a good time in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> no good times in these films. Again, it does the Star Wars thing. Happen, it references all the interesting stuff off screen. <laughs> These films, it starts... The first one isn't too bad. And then I think... I'm loath to blame it all on Chris Tucker. <laughs> but given the, given the way that he clearly, like... He gets more and more rapey. He gets... He gets... Unlikable. More and more, like, power in this franchise to the yes. point of being top build in the third one and yes. stuff like that. There is so much of this film that is both him and then a little bit with also Jackie Chan um, just being so relentlessly horny. Yeah. Like third one, especially the yes. third one. It, the third one is even worse, but yep. it starts in the second one where they're like, Oh, we're going to go to a, a Chinese massage parlor. Yep. Yes. Uh, and, and then we're going to spy on the secret service woman and we're going to just ogle her as she gets undressed and stuff. Yeah. Does not make them appealing characters, no, especially they, they become nowadays. Fucking police academy characters. Yeah. yeah. Leah has a like naivete about him. Yeah. Carter does not. No, oh, no, no, no. Carter is a sex pest. Which is interesting because there's an outtake in the third film, this doesn't spoil what Jack's about to say at all, don't <laughs> worry. Where um they are in a hotel room with a witness, shall we say, an mm. integral part of the story, and they're saying and then Jackie Chan's character says, we should rent a dirty movie. And Carter's like, what are you talking about? And then in the outtakes, um, yeah. Ratner feeds him shit off screen yes. saying, say like this. And then he says, it, the line that's in the film is, they're only a 9.95. Yeah. But the line is like, he's saying is, I like hairy women. Yeah. I like feet. I like the one with horses. Yeah. And he I, says, what I, am I, I saying? I like the one with big feet. Yeah. 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 And he's yeah. like, what am I saying? You make me say dirty stuff. He's like, no, no, just keep saying it. It's fine. It's fine. Just keep saying stuff. It's like, okay, fine. And it's, like, it's clear. like, what are you, you making me fucking yeah. say yeah, here? It's, it, it, yeah. Ratner is probably the person to direct this Ratner. particular wrath at. Yeah. Yes. Carter is absolutely, sorry. Chris Tucker is absolutely leaning into it. Yeah. And doing this whole fucking don't inter interrupt man at a buffet. Mm, I'm gonna take that one. Mm, yeah. That one too. It's, it's hideously predatory, but you know it's Ratner saying, "Yeah, do it. Yeah, I'll give you the full free reign to do it, and I'll, you know, I'll write it down at the same time." It's like, oh, you creepy. Should have. We should have guessed a long time should ago. Have known. Yeah. Fucking Ratner. The third film. Now you may be listening, looking at the old uh, running time, thinking, "Ah, oh, these guys getting through the episode quite quickly." It's like we could talk about this third <laughs> film for so long. We'd have to be really fucking disciplined to stay on it because everything I imagine Jack is about to say could be a tangent of us whinging. We're gonna stop and be like, "Yeah, that actually happened." Or what the fuck is this? Or why yeah. the fuck do they do that? Yeah, but I will try. I will try my hardest. As I mentioned earlier, we're now three years after the events of Rush Hour Two. Despite the fact this film comes out six years after Rush Hour 2, mm. 
Which means we're also three years after the events of Rush Hour 1. Correct. Which at this point... The second one is a week after the first one. Yeah. So yeah. This whole thing, this whole <coughs> franchise is three years long. Yeah. Despite the fact it happening over actual nine years. Yes. And Chris Tucker visibly aging. Oh, God damn, he ages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he ages, it's like nine years. He ages fucking normal. It's just yeah. the fact that it's yeah. like... Yeah. The, the, I look quite three... different to how I did when I was 23. Yeah. I mean, he's not the... I was a few stone lighter, that's for sure. Actually, we'll, we'll come up with it when it comes to the plot, the whole like the aging thing and then Chris, Chris Tucker's creepiness mm. goes from like, oh, to... Uh, mm, mm, mm. Mm. But we'll get to that. Yes. Chinese ambassador, Han. Yeah, he's got an upgrade. We don't say the word console anymore. <laughs> At least not for like 10 minutes. No. He's working with the Hong Kong police force chief. Inspector Lee, he's back together again, basically working as his bodyguard. He addresses the importance of fighting triads at the World Criminal Court, which apparently is a real thing. Yeah. Didn't know that until Sounds I fake as shit. It, it sounds does like sound, some yeah. rush hour bullshit. Yeah. That they made up some political nonsense. I was like, yeah. What world criminal? What? It's aren't one of the- all courts <laughs> criminal courts? <laughs> Aren't they all on the world? Like, what are you talking about? It's one of those, like, I don't know if it's connected to the UN, but it's very like, yes, yes, we should have a world criminal court. It's like, does it do anything? No, not really. It's mainly for, like, information it sharing. Does, it discusses, and... like, hypothetical situations yeah. where crime may happen, yeah. but yes. is unable to act on any of those crimes. Yes. And because all the countries here like to push our chest out, no one's going to actually admit the crime we have or that it's bad. Yes. So it's mostly like, well, it's your fault, really, and nothing we've gets got, done. We've got no crime. How about you? Yeah, same. No crime. <laughs> we've got, we got Everything's a of, great. Yeah. We've got a Best bit of crime, in the world. but it's your fault. Yeah. Because yeah. of this trade deal. Like, Jesus Christ. By the way, World Criminal Court in Los Angeles. How convenient. Sure. When Han starts to announce the whereabouts of Shai Shen. Shai Shen. They say it a million fucking times. <laughs> you can guarantee in these films that you're going to be told who the bad guy is at the start and go, use, ah, that name. Yeah. Ah, and then there's a little bit of a twist to it sometimes. And yeah. You go, sure. Why not? Shai Shen is a semi-mythical individual of great importance to the triads. Maybe. But an assassin snipes at Han while he's about to reveal the information. Stop ho- hosting these Fucking important meetings near these giant windows. Yeah. <laughs> They're the same thing in fucking Black Panther. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also the thing of like, and I know this is trying to like treat fucking Rush Hour 3 with some semblance of reality. It's like, that is not the kind of information you would be like, oh yes, time to step out in front of the World Criminal Court and, and reveal for the first time ever to all these assembled delegates. It's the kind of thing that would be put in a memo of like, we finally, like, here's this thing that we've discovered. Yeah. This is, you know, for distribution. Top secret fucking information. Yes. That only goes to the top, but we'd, you know, we're going to send it out like an email because that's how the world works. It, yeah. The presentation is so for everyone can say, yeah, we know. Yeah. You told us a week ago. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But now I'm announcing it officially. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. But that's, that's not thrilling, Tim. No. That's not. That's not rush out through. That's, you know, that ain't know. that ain't rush or hour. <laughs> you know what is thrilling? Lee cornering the shooter and hesitating, because it's his sort of brother, I guess, who's Japanese. Yes, they played by Hiroyuki Sanada. Foster brother. Yep. Which from I an, guess from an orphanage. Mm. Yep. Yeah, which I guess makes sense because he's 
no, it he could have yeah it could be like <laughs> Matt Quelly no, his he because we know that he ha- he his dad was a really important figure in his life so mm-hmm. maybe it's also it's actually his foster dad or maybe this is just their family decided to foster some kids yeah as well, I, I but assume it's... Lee's family fostered this poor Japanese orphan yeah from a Chinese orphanage Jim, yep. you are being remarkably generous. I know, yes. yeah, <laughs> because it's so it's, it's so sweaty. Because they just were like, "Well, we'll get a, 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 the actor Japanese. Asian that's guy. fine. That's He's fine. Asian." Mm. It's like, no, that's not how Western audiences can't tell the difference. Yeah, <sighs> Brett Ratner can't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a fucking problem. Hiroki Sanada turning up in this. I'm like, yes. And there's a there's a scene where they're in an alleyway before Chris Tucker and uh, Jackie Chan are reunited. Pretty good. Yeah. Because it's two good fucking actors. Yeah. yeah. And Jackie Chan speaking Japanese. And you're like, this is fucking tense. Yeah. I like it. And then the, you know, the rush houriness happens. Indeed. <laughs> it's his foster brother, Kenji. So as I said, Lee hesitates, allowing him to escape just as Carter arrived because Carter was tuning in on the police radio nearby. Carter, who has been sexually harassing some women. Correct. And describes them as like our place to stay for the night or something like that. Uh, and, 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 you, and you prime can, you, sushi, and you can take the fat one or something like that. Yeah, the fat one's yours. Yeah, says, the yeah. fat one's yours. <sighs> Is there sort of a whole thing about these how fucking movies? He accidentally shot, yes, Agent Monica, correct, in the uh, neck or something, something like that. Yep. And her eye doesn't work anymore, correct. and she yeah. works in a chicken burger place. Uh-huh. Yeah, what the fuck? And that's why she and Jackie Chan had to break up because they were so clearly a couple at the end of the second film. She kisses him once and was like, better yeah. shoot her in the neck and write her out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, li- literally. And, like, and, and that's he, the rule if you kiss Jackie Chan. I don't know. Yeah. And that's why Lee and Carter have had a falling out. Yeah. And yeah, fucking. Because he shot his girlfriend in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. This is told us pissed in a conversation in like, yeah, I'm sure Jackie Chan in a second. It's just like, oh, by the way, I'm, are you still angry about that? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? In the same way that in Attack of the Clones, it's like that time on uh, Kate Kate Nomura doesn't count. It's like, that sounds like a better movie. Why can't I see that? Why can't you show me the movie where Chris Tucker shoots Jackie Chan's girlfriend in the neck? <laughs> and he's like, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. That sounds intense. Han has survived the assassination attempt and Lee and Carter promised Su Young to find the person responsible. Because uh, Su Young uh, <laughs> has gone from 11 to like 18-ish. In three years. In three years. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's it's a different were, actress. It's as a well. different actress. It's not like they were like, oh well, because the it's act- only been three years, I guess. Yeah. So it's like, oh right, yeah, you needed to get like a fourteen year old actor. So no, we got a twenty one year old actor. Yeah. Then why didn't you keep the original yeah. one and just say it's years later? Like it is in real life. <laughs> what are you doing? Jackie but- Chan's now in his fifties. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. And it's a whole like, um, oh, by the way. Chris Tucker's like, oh, I haven't seen her in years. I'll get her like a teddy bear or something. And then there's Adam goes, damn. It's like, no, no, she's no, she's no. supposed to be fourteen. Yeah, it's weird. Played by a twenty-one-year-old. Fuck you, Ratner. Welcome. Yes, very much. Fuck you, Ratner. She insists they head to the local kung fu studio because, yep, to retrieve an envelope Han had left for her. But learns from the studio because, master because nobody else has been given this information about this notorious crime lord yep. mythical only figure her via a kung fu studio. 
But they learn from the studio master that the triads have taken Su Young's belongings because that was a fucking stupid plan. Yes. We're glazing over a really awful fucking scene there. Yes. Oh, I'm glazing over as good. much as I possibly oh, I know. can. Absolutely. It's so, oh my God. We're going to get to <laughs> him being in films. Cinematography, I mentioned earlier, being really nice and, and cool. You can see the cardboard fucking yes, shimmering yes. Uh, spit. Just, just everything about it. The offensive jokes, the stupid tall man thing. It's just, ah, continue. Yeah, there's a basketball player that beats everyone up. That's all you need to know. Lee and Carter returned. That sounds like I'm making that up. I promise I'm not. <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, I swear to God. You've seen uh, Game of Death? Yeah, kind of. Kind of like that, yeah, but not. But not. Lee and Carter return to the hospital and intercept a gang of French-speaking assassins. And I, I'm not going to quote Chris Tucker here because he uses a word I'm not particularly comfortable saying out loud these days. He says, I didn't realize people from China could speak French, but he uses the word Chinaman. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. God. Okay, we're going there. I guess that's your this Jackie whole... Chan saying the N word. You yeah. can say the C this, word, I this guess. Whole, like, fucking hell. This whole scene is bad. And it ends on a really weird limp note. So you've got this translation between a nun. Oh, I'll get. Oh, After defeating so, them, they sorry. interrogate one of them with the help of a nun. Carry on, man. There <laughs> it is. Yes, I'm so sorry. Literally the next sentence. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and it's just like, it's a really uncomfortable, like, what the fuck is this scene? It's, um, I can't remember the actor's name, but she's from Home Alone 2. Yes, yes she is. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh. And uh, Adam's Family Values, I believe. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, what the shit? And basically, she speaks French to this Frenchman. Um, and there's some back and forth about trying not to swear in front of the nun. And then finally, she says, thanks, sister. He, and she just says, anytime, brother. Like, anytime, what brother. What in the fuck is happening? They apparently had a nun just so they could do that joke. They wrote the joke first and then realizes, well, we have sisters are like, hosp- I guess you can have like, Nurses who assist a nun. Oh, oh that'd be really funny. And then she can Jesus say, "Yeah, he keeps Christ. saying the n word and stuff." It's so much loops to jump through for a terrible joke. Oh my god! Anytime, brother says Just the white the... nun. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, Moving on for her protection, they take Sue Young to the French embassy because reasons. Leaving her with the French ambassador. <laughs> reasons because we who also happens to be the chairman we, of the world. We'd Criminal like Court. her to be in peril later. Correct. <laughs> Let's Who? not let's not take her, you know, home. Also, said Frenchman is an old white dude, so he's an old Swede. Is back Max, on Sedow, Max yeah. on Sedow, Swedish, yeah. he is, isn't he? Yeah. Maybe he'll be the friendly good guy in this yeah. film. <laughs> you know, Max von Sydow, famous for playing the good guy. Yeah, you've seen Minority Report. Yeah. <laughs> How did that end? You've seen Rush Hour. How did that end? <laughs> exactly. There's always a white guy. There's always a lighthouse. Yep. When Reynard and Suyong are nearly killed by a car bomb, Lee and Carter head to Paris to investigate further. Because that makes sense. Yeah, Taken. <sighs> kind of, yeah. Taken was the year It after, does actually. kind of turn into Taken, doesn't it? A little bit. After an encounter with a Parisian commissaire, played by Roman fucking Polanski, I... in 2007, why is Roman fucking Polanski in this movie as if this film didn't have enough problematic fucking people associated with it Roman goddamn I remember every single and I'm not exaggerating every single review saying 
what Why? the fuck is yeah. Roman Polanski doing in this film? It's not even like a clever cameo. It's like, what the fuck? And it's it's equally uncomfortable because it's like, what's Polanski doing? He's just a cameo for cameo sake. He is literally beating them and yeah, he gives them a cavity invading search. them. Yes. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, oh god. Yeah. It's like I have no words, no words yeah. to understand the thought process or the. I mean, it literally must just come down to Brett Ratner knew Roman Polanski somehow, because I can't think of any other reason. There's why. no logical reason. There's, no, there's nothing no. justifiable. It's, it's not like he, again, it's not even like, oh, this is a really amazing French cameo. It's yeah. Like, no, that's just dumb and yeah. defensive and weird. Yeah. And why would you do this? He's, it's not like, you know... It, it's not like they got like, oh, it's Gerard Depardieu because yes. we, you know, yes. we're in France. Let's get the most Jean Renault. Yeah, oh, could have been Jean Renault. Even you could keep the exact same everything. Yeah, yeah. beating them with the yellow pages tied yeah. to a pole, yeah. and then the anal cavity search. It's like it's a shit joke, but Jean Renault. It's like okay, yeah. Get fucking Leon in there. Yeah, absolutely. Vincent Cassell. You're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, he's a bit, there is well. so many fine. <laughs> So many other French actors, and it's like no, literally disgraced anyone else. Yeah, save for like two other known sexual predators. Pick any fucker in the world that isn't Roman goddamn Polanski. Anyway, let's move on. He's not in the rest of the movie until he is later on. Yes, Leon Carter, me anti-American taxi driver George. George is fascinating to me on so many levels. (laughs) He's Spoiler alert, he's kind of the main character of this film. He is astonishing. He's, he's the one that goes on a on an arc, essentially. Yeah. Yes, he grows. He um, learns to like Americans and guns. He he oh, is God. the he is America coming to terms with Okay, so a really, really strange little fact here. We warned you this synopsis is gonna be long. Welcome to the synopsis, I'm sorry. ladies and gentlemen. The first half of the first <laughs> half is the other stuff. You're in the second half of the first half now. You threw the fucking looking glass now. Yeah. I, much as I remember watching uh, Rush Hour 1 around Christmas, Rush Hour 1, in the UK at least, was the month before 9-11. Um, and I think in America, it was like the, Chris, uh, the, the, the summer before. It's like so it's June, July time. Um, and I'm so, I have so many vivid memories of the fallout of France saying, no, we're not going to invade Iraq. Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. Um, and therefore, oh, the French are weak. They're cowards. They're they're um, they're failures. They lose all the wars. And yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? Blah blah blah. She's eating surrender monkey, etc. Yeah. That's et exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. freedom fries. All that bullshit. All that yeah. shit. So God, like, oh, you Americans, fries, fries. you will just kill people and you invade for no reason. Mm. And then within five minutes. I love you so much. Mm. Oh, you're the best. And then it's, and his, as I said at the start of the episode, this is not spoiling this um, uh, Jackson ops because I mentioned it at the top of the show. I want to kill someone. I want it feels what it feels to kill someone for no reason. Like an every American, like, what in the fuck is this? He, and then you see his home life. He's kind of the protagonist of he's this movie. He's so weird. And he's it gives definitely him so going much to... goddamn screen time. He doesn't belong. He's definitely going to go on and murder other people after this. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 spoiler he, alert: 
he does murder somebody he at the end of this film. There should be he a post-credit scene of him, blood. him just staring directly into camera going, I will kill a... I yeah. don't know why I gave him a German accent. Because <laughs> he pulls his mask off <laughs> and he's German. <laughs> that explains a lot. I was going to say very much... I will kill again. He, he does not feel like he belongs in any of the Rush Hour films. No. He feels like he belongs in a Deadpool film. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense because it's ridiculous and it's a cartoon. It's like, why is he here? And why is he here so much? But Jack, please continue about the event. He, he, he feels like he should be being beaten up by Liam Neeson in Taken 2. Good yeah. luck. Absolutely. Can you say this for me? Good I luck. want to kill like Americans. Ah, hello. <laughs> uh, what else has Ivan Atal been in? Anybody? Can you pick anything I, else he's been in? I, I used to know that. I feel like I knew this. I pissed. No, no idea. I can't, I can't place it, but I feel there's something. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything else he's been in. Uh, I'm just like... I feel there's got, a bite coming, but... There is not a joke coming. It's oh. the fact that he is the lead fucking actor, essentially, in this fucking movie, apart from being Chris Tucker being top-billed, obviously, and basically has never been in anything ever that anybody gives a shit about. Weird. He is known as George from fucking Rush Hour 3. And maybe he was cheap? Probably. I mean, they paid Chris Tucker so much money. Yeah, they can only afford poor Ivan Atal, basically. Okay. Well, anyway. Anyway, taxi driver time. George drives them to a tryout hideout after some convincing. Carter meets Jean-Vierve, a barely French. This. She's French, isn't she? She She's is, like yeah, yeah. It, isn't it Genevieve? We uh, see in, it in spelled out. I don't know, because I remember seeing the thing is Jean-Vierve is like. That's that's why I suppose think it's a dude, but it's Genevieve. I'm like I don't understand. Maybe just as it's classic British people pronouncing things wrong. Uh, I know somebody who's French Canadian whose name is Genevieve. Okay, okay. it is. Uh, it's, okay. It is British yeah. people do things wrong. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Again, French Canadian not speaking for French. They are two Quebecois. Oh yeah, and French yeah, yeah, are yeah, Different things, but yeah. yeah. Um, Fair play. Yeah. I just we we do see it written down at one point, and it's it's in weird cursive. Yes. Uh, and I was like, doesn't that say Genevieve? It does, yeah. <laughs> but French. Yeah. While Lee is tricked by mob assassin Jasmine, the the dragon lady. She's got the fact she's credited as dragon lady. She is, and yeah. I know. this is two thousand and fucking seven. Yeah. You can't call an Asian character dragon lady. It's oh like my God. Yes, yes, it's like always Anton. been wrong, but people have been saying very vocally it's wrong. Yeah. So you have to stop. Um, but again. 2000s you could do anything baby She's... before the fucking recession came through yep she starts killing lee but carter thinks they're having sex he's like yeah go on lee <sighs> she has quote, an amazing catchphrase tear that ass up do you want to hear a secret <laughs> someone's <laughs> yeah. gonna die he, yeah. she literally does the line call an ambulance but not for <laughs> me <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. she also claims to have information on shai shen because everybody talks about shai shen and the pair try to escape but are ultimately captured by kenji's men kenji's back everybody hey he says he'll yes, let them live back. if they leave paris but lee refuses the duo escape spoiler alert they get captured and escape a lot in these films yep and regroup at a hotel where Lee reveals his relationship with Kenji and decides to continue alone. There's a beautiful cut in this. Oh. And by that I mean it's shit. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what you're Which is about. and it happens in so many films when you know about it, you can't unsee it. Uh oh. Um How will I watch Rush Hour 3 ever again, <laughs> Matthew? Oh no. 
Uh, you'll, you'll find a way. No, I won't. <laughs> Spoiler alert, never again. <laughs> never in my life. Hashtag never again. Um, it's when somebody's having a conversation with an actor and they're in the lobby and they're in, you know, saying we need a room and showers and all this stuff. Thank you very much. And new clothes. Then they get a lift and they're having a conversation saying, man, I can't believe you. You're ridiculous. I can't believe you didn't tell me this and so on and so forth. And then a dog pisses on Carter and you're like, sure. Then they stop. They presumably get to the room. They have showers. They get dressed and they resume their conversation. But for us, we cut from yes. the lift yeah. to the, them yes. dressing themselves. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Were they silent the entire time? <laughs> <laughs> just, as soon as the camera stopped, those doors closed, it's just silence. Yeah. Anyway, as I was saying 17 minutes ago. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, it, it happens all the time. Like, you know, someone say like, yes, but of course, that's not the only time they've struck. Then you cut someone driving a car. You see, it's like, what? What? <laughs> Did you get? And I mean, I do this sometimes in conversation, like, hang on, hang on. Let me go back to what I was saying earlier. And then you just cut yeah. back there. But anyway, do carry on. The joys of editing, ladies and gentlemen, which will be heavily employed during this episode of Sequelizer. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Fucking mess. Uh, a disillusioned Carter leaves, but recomposes himself when he just fucking spots Jumfiev on the street. Yeah. Because that's lazy fucking scripting. Harris is small. <laughs> Meanwhile, Renard, before I mentioned police, not com- commissioner, whatever it is, um, world Commissar. criminal court guy. Oh, that way. Yeah. Commissar is is Revy, not uh, Renard. Sorry, yeah, I, I, yeah. Renard, Max von Sydow, meets Lee and explains that Shai Shen is not a person, but a list of triad people or something. And there's a vote for some reason. And then there's a. I know a lot about this, despite being a Swedish French guy. <laughs> but don't worry about that bit. Everything's fine. Have you seen I Mission just... Impossible One? It's the knock list. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It it's the spyfall list. It's the yep. Mission Impossible list. Criminals always have like this really uh, complicated set of systems. And yeah, like, I don't know if they always do. It's also the thing in Wu Tang. Taste the pain. Yeah, like the, the tattoo of the map on the back Love of the it. guy who gets skinned and stuff. And why don't they just? It's two thousand and seven. Why don't they just take a photo and put it on the internet? <laughs> you shut your whole mouth. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's mobile phones in 2007. Not yeah. smartphones, but camera phones exist. I feel like the first iPhone was out by it, then. It's around this sort of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Digital cameras certainly existed. Yeah. A, f- a fucking camera. Any old fucking, fucking camera. analog camera. Every, Every camera. camera. Yeah. One of those like a pen. <laughs> yeah. Thing. Going back to Texas Chainsaw Mask. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, just take a fucking photo and then that, if one list can undo the entire triad. Just do that and then put her in hiding and then they're all fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe film solved. And I know it's a Eagles fly to Mordor kind of situation, but like fucking stupid movie. <laughs> Maynard meets Leo's head, explains that Shashen is not a person, but a list and that Jean Vieve is Han's informant. Oh, the paths are crossing of all the different plots and stuff. After locating Jean Vieve and saving her from being killed because they know she's there now, apparently. The two flee to the hotel. They're attacked by, as Tim correctly said earlier, Dragon Lady. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> I'm calling her Jasmine. All the way through, I call her Jasmine because that's sort of the character's name if you look it up. Um, not in the credits. But Tim yeah, says. not that's not yeah. how she's credited. Not officially. Yeah. Yes. 
but George rescues them out of a newfound admiration for Americans God and their George. big American titties and all that kind I've of stuff. I've never felt so alive. Here, I've got this Yankees cap from somewhere. <laughs> In Paris. Yeah. jean sure. reveals to Lee and Carter that the triad leader's names are tattooed on the back of her head. And she takes her wig off, and here's the transphobia moment. Yeah, yeah. Carter goes, oh, no, it's a man. I went to second base with a dude. Even though she's very clearly uh, just a woman with, just a, a, woman shaved with head. a shaved head, which is yeah, a normal. thing that happens all the time for various different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. You're insane. You're an absolute homophobic maniac, transphobic yes. maniac. What the fuck are you talking about? Why is this scene in this fucking? Why movie? is it still going? It's it goes on for a while. Yeah, as it's well. basically like this, not quite, but similar to the scene from the first Ace Ventura I, film. That's exactly what I'm saying. But ten years later, yep, and with zero lessons learned. Lee, yes. please check the hardware. Yes, that is an actual line. Fuck me, yeah, that is a line said in two thousand and seven. It's the third fucking movie of this friend. Good lord. Anyway. Mm. Lee and Carter bring her to Renard because that makes sense. He's definitely not evil. And discover he was working with the triads the whole time. What? They have the little... We didn't tell him she was the Shai Shen because it's sort of a person, but not really a person. Oh, no. He knows everything. He's the white guy who's been the bad guy the whole time. Oh, no. Kenji calls to inform Lee that he has captured Su Young. Hello, first movie again. And demands he turn over Jean Vievre. And Renard just goes, You've got a call, Inspector. I'm like, How do you. Where did I. Mm. Are you working together? Okay. Lee and Carter arrive at where else in Paris to do a finale of a movie? The Arc de Triomphe. No. Uh, the, the Louvre. <laughs> the Louvre. No, no, no. no. Uh, the Ponte de. Uh, oh. Eiffel Tower. There, there we go. To make the exchange. Kenji challenges Lee to a sword fight. You would think, if I say the words Jackie Chan versus Hiroyuki Sonata in a sword fight. Fuck yeah. It would be fucking cool. And Hiroyuki Sonata, Kenji gets a really cool line mm. where he does the whole, we kill people in the triad with a hundred cuts. You've just suffered your first. I was like, that's a fucking cool <laughs> line. I hope you built... Oh no, this fight's underwhelming. Yep. I mentioned earlier the whole like first two films we have a team we know what we're doing hand over to it Ratner goes off and does an X-Man film I know what I'm doing with action films <sighs> it's shot so boringly yep underwhelming trash yes they fight have a sword fight and they land on the safety net ben- below the Eiffel Tower yeah which is a thing by the way to stop suicides and all that yeah and people just falling off in general. But apparently the weight of two small Asian men and a couple of swords, <laughs> swinging a couple of swords, is enough to cut, like, a serious safety net. And then Kenji falls nearly to his death, but as we mentioned a little while ago, Lee must be the noble cop and try and save him because he's his brother or whatever. Not really. But Kenji lets go and falls to his death. Meanwhile, Carter saves Sue Young and defeats Dragon Lady, I call her Jasmine, don't worry, by kicking her into an elevator wheel that gruesomely crushes her to death off screen. Seriously. The noise yeah. her death makes 
and the fact that Carter and Sue Young, Sue Young, who is 14 to 18-ish, yep. yeah. both go, ooh, except it goes... Imagine. You hear like bone snapping and fucking. Yeah. It's is like some eyeball saw popping. level. Yes, like it's a bloodborne sound effect. It's yeah. fucking terrifying. If you take bits of celery and put uh, peanut butter on a chopping board, put mm. the celery on top of the peanut butter and push down with your hands, going through the celery and the peanut butter. Like, that's the sound. Then you know Foley people are like, yeah. yeah I was about to say you're just describing the Foley. Then. Yeah, it's some shit that Toby Young would make in the Barbarian <laughs> yes, Sound yes, Studio. Exactly. Um, so it's pretty gruesome. Considering it's written off as a ooh. Thankfully, it's off screen because it couldn't be on screen. Twelve. Because it would be incredibly gory. Anyway, mm-hmm. and it's like. Why is that the person that gets the horrible karmic comeuppance of a grisly death? Welcome to this trilogy, Tim. Where she, where the bad guys don't really get comeuppances; they just fall off yeah. stuff. But, and but she's been there for. Yeah. She's got two and a half minutes of screen time. Bear crusher gruesomely. Yeah, I suppose. but Carter like, needs to kill a woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Carter needs to murder a woman in this film. I guess. So there you go. Because he hasn't done enough damage Look, to all the, the women The franchise has Jackie Chan performing some really interesting stunts. Chris Tucker, you know... Murdering Asian women. <laughs> murdering women. <laughs> and spitting one-liners. Is that a character arc? I guess it is. Sure. Anyway. <laughs> Carter and Lee parachute off the Eiffel Tower with a French flag with some terrible fucking green screen oh. as well. Good lord. Also, that's not how parachutes work. Not to bring logic <laughs> in at the 11th hour here. The 11th hour of the entire fucking trilogy. And not to be like, oh, that's not very realistic. Cause... But equally... But fuck me. Fucking Jackie Chan has made his name on doing stunts and actually doing them. And in the first two films, at the very least... When they have a big fall, you can tell that someone, you know, there's obviously there's some fuckers falling. Some fuckers falling. Maybe they've like CGI'd the background and or, or done certain stuff so that it's you know safer, so, or so that you can have a close up on them falling rather than the stuntman or whatever. This it's just green looks, screen that shit. Yep, there's just Terrible. absolutely no there's no spectacle to it because you can so clearly see that yep. nothing's fucking happening. Yep, the whole Eiffel Tower stuff feels like. None of it matters. Nope. Feels like it could be taking place on like a children's playground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of wish it did, actually. <laughs> Jackie Chan has done some great fight scenes on he, children's he playgrounds. Has. That yep. awesome seesaw moment. Not even yeah. films, just him. Just, yeah. just, just him be, beating out, up eight year olds. Hanging out with his kids, <laughs> beating up his kids' mates. Great father, Jackie Chan. Um, <laughs> they parachute off using a French flag because reasons, and they land perfectly safely. Right in front of, for some reason, Renard, who has Genevieve with a gun to her head, because reasons. And they're like, oh, we're, we're fucked now. But thank God, the actual hero of this fucking film, <laughs> George the Taxi Driver, murders a guy in cold blood for reasons we're not entirely sure of. Thoroughly illegal in every country. Like, yeah. France, in- you can't own a gun. Straight yeah. up, Straight up murder... Also, murder of like a politician and stuff. So it, that's technically an assassination attempt. Yep, it's a whole other thing. As you say, firearm possession in France is yep. very tricky. George is going away for life. Yeah, like oh, it's helping the cops. That doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't you matter. murdered a politician. Yeah, in cold blood, 
in the back in public in yeah. the street. Not like defending your own home shit. Yeah. He was just a guy. And then one of my least favorite deaths, maybe ever. George shoots him. You hear the gunshot. And then Max once out just walks forward into a pond. <laughs> I'm like, he doesn't fall. He just carries on walking. He oh, wasn't he... walking previously. He does face plant into the pond. It's, yes. a, it's a body flop. Yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't walking previously. He's like, I suppose I better die in that pond just to make sure <laughs> I'll also drown myself. Doesn't like fall to the floor. Nope. It's none of this like over the top Hollywood. Somebody gets shot and they go flying or anything like that. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't even hold a wound or anything. Just casually yeah. walks forward into a pond. He's an automaton again. He's a hit the got to return oh. to the sea. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because he's, he's actually a minion. <laughs> The primordial ooze of minions. Yeah. Max von Sydow must return you, to it. If you let a minion get old enough, they turn into Max von Sydow. <laughs> that explains <laughs> a lot. That's the ultimate That explains that uh, Rule 34 yeah. we watched that once. Once they've beaten death in a chess game. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you watch The Seventh Seal, then you watch Minions, then you watch Rush Hour 3, and it's just a story arc. And, you're Seventh, like, ah! and, then, and then you kill yourself. <laughs> Seventh Seal, Rise of Gru. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, anyway, with the bad guy murdered in cold blood by a taxi driver. That's justice. Need I remind you? The police arrive and fucking Roman Polanski's back. And he, and I'm not joking here, sexually harasses Carter and Lee. And they both look visibly uncomfortable. And apparently, both of them were actually uncomfortable with it. Yep. Who, why would you possibly be uncomfortable around Roman Polanski? <laughs> why would you be uncomfortable with Roman Polanski kissing you? I'll leave that one out there, listeners. Overseen by Brett Ratner. Uh, by the way, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, things are winding down. No, things are grinding to an immediate halt. <laughs> the movie's about to just suddenly stop. <laughs> because I imagine they walked off set. <laughs> he tries to take credit for their work. They knock him out. And then they walk off dancing to... Whoa. Doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> That's the film. It, literally, That's that. it. Just, it just do a victory dance and then leave. A incomprehensible, <laughs> racist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic. Is that all the things? I feel it's like that's pretty all much. It covers ticked every box. If you're alive, there. it's offensive. Yeah. If you're dead, it's offensive. It, it is an effort to go out of your way to be this obnoxious. And at the same time... But God damn it, I'm going to try with my pitch. This isn't even the third one. Sorry, this isn't even the first one. This is the third time series. You've, cho you've, you've proven you can make an acceptable, and uh, in the first case, an engaging movie with these people. And How it, have you made it so it, painfully dumb and shit and bad and offensive? It, yeah, it's the thing of like, it act... I mean, obviously, this is the fucking point of our show is that sequels tend to get worse but like <laughs> thanks <Tim>. what <laughs> it, but it, it's the thing of like this level of just offensive vitriol does not exist in the first one there's some moments that have aged badly certainly oh, of course of course of course uh and some moments that are, even at the time were like mm, are you gonna make that joke that's mm. yep it's edgy it's like oh, okay yeah but just the level of just like gross shit that is loaded into the third film and it's like 
where has this come from? And the answer is probably Brett Ratner getting more and more control over proceedings. Almost guaranteed. I mean, and, and by the way, just so we know, and just so it's a bit clear here, because we don't want to sound, for those who, who don't know, Brett Ratner, director of a handful of things you probably watched and probably like. All three um, of these movies. All three of these movies. Um, so controversial, so frustrating, involved in so much awful bullshit as a lot of people are, which we cover on a lot of these shows in terms of actors and celebrities and directors and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, there are so many interviews with so many actors, uh, Elliot Page, for example, mm. talking about um, his terrible fucking experience working on Last Dance. Yeah. Just, yep. just, this, just this, what was always played off in the 90s and the two, early 2000s, he's ah, just kind of a very confident you know, bratty kind of guy. And yeah. he's, he just, he's, 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 he just says it how it is like, yeah, no. he's a bit of a maverick. Yeah. No, he's an abusive piece of shit. Yeah. Um, and with Rush Hour 1, it's like, oh, I respect Jackie Chan's craft. I'm going to make a really cool engaging film that's going to bring new audiences mm. to his thing. Like, you kind of did that. Mm. And the more he goes on, the more power he gets and the older he gets and the more bitter and vitriolic he seems to be like i'm not gonna hide but i, I can say the quiet part loud now yeah i'm gonna be rewarded for this i'm gonna be thanked for this and like you are a dick because that's the thing he brett ratner for all for the for the successes that you can point to in the first film brett ratner has no part in them all he has done no, no, no. he's still back is, is that he has gone to a studio and gone Hey, I I have enough cachet with you to get a film made. We should make a film with this person. I really, I really like Jackie Chan. Can we make a Jackie Chan movie? Yeah, that's basically the whole thing. Yeah, everything that is good about that film yeah. comes from other people, mostly and Jackie of, Chan and his stunt team. And a lot of the bad things come from Brett Ratner. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in terms of films, just just very quickly, we'll we'll go to the second half soon. Brett Ratner has not directed a film, as in a feature-length film, or really much of anything, since 2014. Mm. Because obviously, and that, again, just to clarify, that's, I know it doesn't really feel like it, but that's eight goddamn years. Mm. Because he has become so toxic of industry because of everything he's done. So he did Money Talks, which, again, it's a Chris Tucker film. It's mm. fine. It is what it is. It's new. Then Rush Hour, then The Family Man, which is a strangely cute sort of Nicolas Cage movie. Then Rush Hour 2. Then Red Dragon, which is uh, the um, Thomas the Harris, Lambs. Science of the Lambs. Prequel, yeah. Again, we, we talked about briefly on we our did. Hannibal episode. Not badly done. It's okay. Um, he did After the Sunset, which nobody cares about. No one thinks about them. Don't worry about it. Moving on. Then X-Men and Last Standard. Uh, Standard. Last Stand, which is shit. Yep. But, you know, competent in theory. Which we've also done previously on the show. Yeah. Did Rush Hour 3. Then kind of nothing for lower then tower heist with ben Stiller and Andy murphy which everybody forgot about because it's a piece of shit yeah and a hercules film with the rock which is a big piece of shit terrible fucking movie yeah and he hasn't worked since basically yeah and good because fuck him so yeah. his career you're like oh yeah i know these things he's his big for lack of a better word success is rush hour yeah yeah that and x-men 3 which yeah. it oh it, rush he got, he got it because of rush hour. he's yes that's yeah what, that yeah, yeah. X-Men 3, which, as we said in the episode, at the time was the most expensive movie of all time. Crazy. Um, and was bad. Is a bad, bad film. Yep. And to all the lessons he learned from that and put it in Russia yeah. 3. Al almost killed a very successful franchise. Yeah, yeah. Jack. Hey. <sighs> I don't bring... Don't do that. No, I don't do that either. I don't bring back 
Brett Ratner, if that helps. Spoiler that, alert. That, for my... that instant improvement. <laughs> I would say, because part of the reason this was in development hell was obviously money stuff and, and all the negotiations, but also because Ratner was busy on being a prick and yeah. uh, um, X-Men stuff. So suddenly it's like, yeah. oh, how do we get past these things? Like, don't have Ratner be involved. Yeah. He brings nothing to the table. He, he literally brings nothing. Other than he, he brought Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan together. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Fuck off back into the woods. Um, let's see if he can fix it. This week we are sponsored by Audible. You can get a free audiobook and a month free trial of Audible's fantastic service by going to audibletrial.com slash sequel. It's that easy. I'm going to recommend one of their hundreds of thousands of audiobooks this week. You can also listen to podcasts. You can also listen to comedy specials, podcasts, including the one and only sequelizers, of course. But since you get a free audiobook, I'm going to give you a recommendation. Since Rush Hour 3 is a bit hanging out in France and all that, let's go hang out in France, except during the Revolution. What? Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. What? Yeah. One of, not well, maybe not my favourite books, but a book I read many years ago. It's fucking long. Uh, yeah, an intimidatingly thick book that may be better listened to rather than carried around. Would you guys like to guess how long the audiobook, this oh version God. of the unabridged audiobook oh my God. of uh, Les Miserables is? Full heads up. What if you think yourself, what, well, the musical's this long? Nope, stop. <laughs> There's a lot missing from that. Yes. Um, longer than the musical I'll put it that 45 way 45 hours good guess Matt Tim any ideas maybe maybe not that 36 hours 67 hours holy crap there's an abridged version at about 55 but I'm Jesus. recommending the full get bang for your buck yeah yeah gentlemen. yeah you go to audibletrial.com slash sequel you can get 67 hours of entertainment I recommended a twenty-minute pamphlet. Yes, I do, Matthew. <laughs> I tried to give the I tried to give the listeners and the sponsors value for money. You could listen to the pamphlet for over and over for sixty hours. Exactly. You can go to audibletrial.com/sequel. Like I said, you can get a free copy of Les Mis or whatever you want. I couldn't find any Jackie Chan books that weren't like fifteen-minute-long podcasts. And there's a few podcasts called Rush Hour, but I'm not recommending them either. Because you can get 67 hours of Les Mis instead. It's high quality, well-written stuff, so you know. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so if this is your first episode, hello. Um, At this point in the show, we like to talk about Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Specifically, as flawed as they are, uh, they're a bit of fun. Get an interesting bit of a gauge. And I have the figures, both the uh, audience scores and the critic scores, for Rush Hour 1, Rush Hour 2, and Rush Hour 3. In order to get a positive review uh, and notch up the percentage, you need to give the film a 3 out of 5 or a 6 out of 10, uh, arguably. And I think that is a rotten. It's a, it's a very simple system. It doesn't actually work, but it's a good talking point for us. Fair. So, let's come to Jack first. Oh, like I said, I've researched the shit out of these mm. While sidestepping this stuff. But I've purposefully avoided Rotten Tomatoes. I even literally put my hand up to the screen when I Googled it and like made sure to block out the Rotten Tomatoes number as I scrolled past. So I love the dedication to it. I, I want to go in fair and square. Okay. Um, and watch as he now mints them all. Yeah, as I just like <laughs> fucking miss them all. I don't know completely. why, but this number's just calling to me. Doof, doof, doof. Yeah. Um... I feel like it's liked, but it's not going to be super high because, again, the first one is still problematic. 
think a lot of people still have problems with it, but it was a big success with the layperson. Uh-huh. I think the, it's one of the classic. I think the audience score is going to be higher than the critic score. So I'm going to go. That leads me sort of in the 60-ish, 67. Okay. Pull the number out of my ass. Tim, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm here at... Because I don't, I don't think there will be many retrospective reviews going back and going, oh, it's not aged well. Mm. But I also don't know how many critics at the time would... I, th- I feel like there's going to be critics who know Jackie Chan stuff mm-hmm. and go, it's not as good as his, his, his Asian stuff. It's not yep. as good as Rumble in the Bronx. And there's going to be, be people who don't, who don't get it. Yeah, okay. Um... Let's go with 70%. A little bit higher than Jack. Okay. So I'm, ho- I'm hoping that people were like, yeah, it's good. Go see it. Mm-hmm. I reckon the, the, the audience score will be significantly higher. That would be my guess, yeah. Okay, Jack, rush over two. I think it's going to drop a little bit, but not a crazy amount. So if down from 67, I'll go 47. Okay. Tim? I I had a, I had a number in my brain, so I'm not I'm not this is not a an attempt to, it's 40, not it wasn't 46. 47. I was I was just thinking this is a 50% movie. Oh no. One of you got me with a 50% the other the other week. I can't yeah. remember where it was. Yeah. So yeah, Some I'm going to I'm going to say 50%. Fair enough. Okay. And Jack Rush hour 3. This has got to be the worst by far. Surely, sure. It's for critics. It's going to be a fucking shellacking, I would assume. Mm. Uh, so down from sixty-seven, forty-seven. Logically, you're sitting at twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. I want to go lower than that. I think this film is worse than that. I want to uh, stick with the sevens. No, not necessarily. Twenty-one. Okay. Again, probably a number out my ass, but around about the sort of ballpark. Tim? I think it's even worse than that. Dwarf. I'm going to say 10%. Ten. I thought you could know single digits there, Tim. No, I, 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 think, I think it. I think there is just... Just this... enough laughs to keep you going. Yeah, yeah. That kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jackie's on form. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm in quick tabulation. Chan stunts still impress even years later, and Tucker still has a few lines to keep you entertained through this mostly disappointing sequel. Yeah, you get to see three out of five. <laughs> yeah, um, four out of five. Like ah. So being three, we got a nice win. Not a clean sweep. Oh no, okay. clean sweep. Okay. okay, but a win. Rush hour one. Yeah. Jack said sixty-seven. Tim said seventy. Both of you highballed it. Oh, wow. Oh, We're starting off slower than yeah. Jesus. 61. Huh. Mm. Now, what's interesting that is... That feels low. Audience here. score, 78. That I'm makes, like... Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That, even that feels a little bit low to me. I'm surprised it's not in the 80s. In I, I thought audience. both of those would have been, as I guess, 67, like 5, mm. 6, mm-hmm, 7% mm-hmm. higher. Both of them yeah. would have gone up. Yeah. So, uh, Jack takes the point for that one. Oh, yeah. Rush Hour 2. Jack said 47%. Tim said 50%. 51. Oh, Tim, you piece of shit. So, uh, yeah, Tim gets the point for that one. Again, 
a 10% drop. And I think from an audience perspective, perspective, it's like, yeah, it's not as good. It's 10% less. Mm, yeah. yeah, fair play. Uh, audiences thought sort of along the same sort of lines mm. dropped from 78 to 74. Yeah. That, I can that see that from this fans' movie. Yeah. People tend to pair one and two together because they feel because they're shot around the same sort of time, same sort of stuff. Two yeah. is much more wobbly, but you can usually forgive it because you're like, oh, I remember the good bits. Yeah. Yeah. Rush hour three. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, the decider. Jack said 21. Tim said 10. It was very close. Oh, oh no. 17%. Oh. So Jack takes it yeah. this week. Um, 17 in I'm with Tim. That feels a bit high. Uh, audience is baffling. Oh, it's going to be fucking but I mentioned, 80 or something. I mentioned it? before about how, you know, we're in a weird anti-France sort of time. Yay, America, flag-waving nonsense. Mm. Uh-oh. Blah, blah, blah. So it goes 78 for Rush Hour 1, 74 Rush Hour 2, 63. So even at its worst, Christ. it's still better than the critics gave the first one. Yeah, that should, be, that should be so much fucking lower. Hell. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just a fucking car crash. So a uh, bit of an indicator there that the franchise isn't as... It's, it's got its fans, it's got its supporters, it's got its love but very much in the past mm. and nobody wants to see a Rush Hour 4. People don't really give a shit about Rush Hour 3 um, and critics obviously hate it. I mentioned it way, way, way back in the show. I have a piece of trivia tying you Rush Hour 1 did, to yes. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes started in August of 1998. The oh, same whoa. year as Rush Hour. Yes. Do you know why? Don't tell me like, Rush Hour is the reason. Rush Hour is the reason Rotten mm. Tomatoes exists. So one of, the, one, of the, one of the three creators of Rotten Tomatoes, Sen Duong, is yeah. a huge Jackie Chan fan. Okay. And he basically wanted people to get access to reviews and stuff of Jackie Chan movies in the US. Oh, I've not seen Jackie Chan, but I've just seen him in Rush Hour. I want to go back and watch all of his Hong Kong movies. Which one should I watch? That's fascinating. Thus, mm. Rotten Tomatoes was born to be a judge of here are the Jackie Chan movies you should watch. Mm. Rotten I Tomatoes genuinely know this. That's amazing. Because of fucking Rush Hour. That's genuinely really, really interesting. Mm. Um, that, that, sh- that gives Rush Hour more uh, historical credence and weight than it actually deserves. Holy shit. Yep. Uh, Duong apparently coded the entire site in like less than a month. Jesus. Like a couple of weeks. Obviously, it chose <laughs> a, a very different version of Rotten Tomatoes. The internet was very different. Twenty-four years ago, but yeah, it was basically he was either knew or was guessing that a bunch of Jackie Chan films are going to suddenly get released in the US following the success of Rush Hour. So, Rush Hour is going to be big. Jackie Chan's suddenly going to be big in the West. They're going to start releasing stuff. Let me introduce you to Jackie Chan movies. So there you go. Brilliant. You go. I, ju- I just did a little additional research because I was like, mm, I can't remember how what the score was for Shanghai Noon. Mm. Uh, I wanted to check that. Yes. Shanghai Noon, 80% critic score on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, Bill, this is the... Yeah. And Rumble in the Bronx, also 80%. Hmm. And if I said 80, we would have gone, yeah, fair play. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I don't get it. Well, anyway, Jack. Hello. It's your job. Maybe critics just fucking hate Chris Tucker. I um, mean, yeah. historically speaking, Maybe. he is an acquired taste. Yes. Yes. 
But anyway, Indeed. Jack, you're fixing it. What are you doing? Uh, I'm calling it Rush Hour 3. Why is it called a... Rush Hour 3? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not bringing Brett Ratner back, as previously good, discussed. Good. I'm also... Uh, not bringing back Chris Tucker. <laughs> like, oh. uh, I am bringing back, obviously, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Yes. Um, the re- I've changed the release year as well. I'm bringing it forward three years to 2004. Because I think another key part of this is everything has gone off the boil. You need to continue to strike while the iron is still I there. Agree. Let alone hot. While the iron is still present, let alone fucking six years after the second one, which is a terrible idea. Yes. Chris Tucker, as we discussed, does basically nothing in the world of film between two and three. So the shorter time we have there, the better. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can stop Jackie Chan from making those fucking terrible movies in the mid two thousands as well. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's a winner, basically. I, I mean, we we established in the first half. It went into development hell because of all kinds of things. No Ratner means we can just go. Oh, how do you get this done in? What would you, you say it was me? Two thousand four. What? How do you get in two thousand four? It just works. It's like, yep. oh, good. Exactly. Yeah. And again, I think the the closer it is to the tail end of the nineties, the better. Agreed. On to my director. Yes. I'm bringing in another Chan, funnily enough. Benny Chan. <laughs> Brilliant. I love me some Benny Chan. Uh, the, of course, 2004. Benny being in 2004, this is, release, uh, this is replacing uh, New Police Story. I was about to ask. Because I think New Police Story is a bag of shit. Yeah, New Police Story is not good. I love Police Story, like I oh, said. Yeah. Classic. Fuck, fuck New yeah. Police Story. Um, he is also the director of who am I that we mentioned hey, earlier? Yeah. Among many other things, a moment of romance, big bullet, uh, beforehand, Rob B. Hood. Rob B. Hood, I mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before this as well. Uh, then goes on to do Shaolin, The White Storm, Call of Heroes, Raging Meow. Fire. Exactly. Meow is a don't Meow. <laughs> Meow's a better big cat. Um, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. He's he's genuinely and he's working with Jackie Chan. Benny a lot, Chan's so Jackie Chan before. That makes no relation. Sense. I hasten to add. And he does the comedy. It's like Robbie Hood. He does the comedy stuff. He does the so. com- he's yeah, got, yeah, yeah. He's got the comedy chops to work with Tucker to hopefully rein him in a bit, maybe, or not force him to say stupid shit and not force Jackie Chan. Basically, yeah. he will let Tucker be Tucker and Chan be Chan while also adding a layer of action direction. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't get in the yeah. way of stuff. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, returning cast, unsurprisingly, Lee is played by Jackie Chan. Carter is played by Chris Tucker. Uh, Consul Han, who will soon learn is Ambassador Han at this point. Uh, CMR coming yeah. back again. Yeah. Uh, Captain DL, again played by the late Philip Baker Hall. Oh, who yeah, yeah. Passed away yeah. recently, funnily mm-hmm. enough. Um, and in little roles, I, I like Johnson. So I'm bringing back Johnson. Oh, She's cool. there in the background. She'll interact with Carter and stuff. She's not massively featured in the script because. Welcome to Sequelizers. I'm not going to dwell on loads of little bits and pieces. Yeah. But she just disappears after the first one. And I think Elizabeth Pena is actually quite good in that. So. Did Elizabeth Pena also die She recently? did, yes. Yeah. God oh, damn. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. New cast. Yes, I'm fascinated. Character called Ellen Yin, mm-hmm. played by Ming-Na Wen. Boom! Who you may <laughs> know from Mulan. <laughs> I feel we put her in a lot of fixes ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. why not? Um, she's also Chun-Li in Street Fighter in the mid-90s. Uh, as I said, the voice of Mulan. Uh, she's been in uh, a voice in the Final Fantasy Spirits Within movie. Yeah. Uh, a few other bits and pieces. She goes on to be in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Book of Boba Fett and stuff. Mm. Ming-Na Wen is awesome. That's she's... two actors in this movie who played Chun-Li. That's kind of weird. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very much very much so. Uh, you teased him earlier, Matthew, playing the character uh, of Shilong. Yes, I fucking knew. I, I know you. Donnie fucking Yen is there he here, is. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there he is. He's no back, complaints with that. That's back good. Once again, like a renegade master, Donnie Yen. If you <laughs> haven't heard us talk about Donnie Yen, go and listen to the Shanghai Nights episode. And we did an entire was, episode yeah. on him. <laughs> Thanks to one Jonathan Firth Clark, one of our VIPs. Yes. Uh, so if you'd like to learn essentially the entire career history, life, and movie highlights of Donnie Yen's entire career, we've covered it. There'll be links and whatever. This is now a new addition to it. Yeah. It was a while ago. And keeping it fairly short and swift, there'll be a bunch of goons that oh, I yeah, can't yeah, be asked yeah. to cast. I'm not casting basketball players and bollocks and other shit. Sure. Um, rounding out my my third edition playing the character of Fung, spelt Fang, but as we've discussed in previous things, F-A-N-G is Fung in uh, Chinese, played by, again, another returning cast member from a previous pitch, not the same character, James Hong. Hey! Loves Coming back song. from my return to Chinatown pitch, where he mm. returns from Chinatown <laughs> into my Chinatown pitch. I did think about making it the same universe as Chinatown, which would be quite cool and call <laughs> him and call him Khan and that would be a cool thing. Mm. There's no reason that can't work. And the Is but, this just the you but, trying the... to get another Roman Polanski character? <laughs> <laughs> there is the connection there as well, yeah, of Roman yeah. Polanski showing up in Chinatown. So yeah, no. Um I I don't know if you did this deliberately, I just had to double check. So my fix for Shanghai Noon, mm -hmm. or Shanghai Nights rather. Mm-hmm. Also starring Donnie Yen. Yep. Also came out in 2004. You're damn right, In Tim. our little sequelizers universe. I checked. <laughs> <laughs> I checked my two Jakes pitch and I was like, hold on, when, it, when did I do Return to Chinatown? Was that the 80s? So James Hong, yeah. He's, so oh in the sequelizers alternate timeline, he's in my Return to Chinatown. I'm going to say this the on 80s. the record, as I've said many times. I reject the sequelizers <laughs> universe. There is the single, each film exists in its own separate thread in the multiverse what i'm hearing is donnie yen had a hell of a 2004 in our alternate timeline we Fuck are gonna yeah. get that two... motherfucker over in he hollywood in two oh bangers God. so donnie and, yen and you... blade two <laughs> two years ago he was in blade two oh my God. uh and i fixed blade three i didn't include donnie yen in my blade three instead i included Traitor. toby <laughs> mcguire <laughs> same role basically brilliant but anyway Good. I, again, it's the kind of thing where you're like, okay, we've got this cast. Ming Na Wen, Donnie Yen, James Hong. It's like, yeah, yeah of course yeah. you fucking do. And it's got the budget and the backing and the prestige, shall we say, because it's a franchise. That exactly. Like, yeah. We'll get those people. Great. Uh, so I've done a thing where, oh dear, I've taken the the barest of elements of Rush Hour Three, chucked ninety five percent of it in the bin. Spoiler alert: We're not going to fucking France because that's unnecessary. Nope. No holiday for you. But the I promise the start will sound like Rush Hour 3. Then after like the opening paragraph, the rest of it is not <laughs> Rush Hour 3 that we know. Sure. It's a new Rush Hour 3. So bear with me, listeners, before we start pausing the podcast and tweeting at me and shit. I don't think anybody's ever if done that. If you guys but... do that, don't do that. <laughs> Listen to the whole pitch first. We then get, tweet at me. We get very confused weeks later. Like, what's happening? I, <laughs> I love those reactions on Discord we get. That's like, true, actually. Yes. Fuck you, Jack. I'm like, what did I do now? It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm listening to a season six episode. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Like, that makes sense. It's like, what makes sense? <laughs> I don't God know damn it, Tim. You're right again. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll take that. Why not? We were, we were talking with... Uh, Emma Jane, Matt's wife, uh, before we started recording, about mm. having arguments with people in your own head and then yeah. jumping into them midway through in yep. actual real life. 
exactly. All right, I'm ready to go. Starting three years after the events of Rush Hour 2, just like in real life, I'm not doing timey-wimey with molly bollocks. It's actually three years after Rush Hour 2, and it's three years after Rush Hour 2. Ambassador Solon Han, now Ambassador Han, I will just call him Han from now on pretty much, addresses the importance of fighting the triads at the World Criminal Court in Los Angeles. It's Rush Hour 3. He doesn't go into some Shen bollocks. I like the idea that they're like, uh, what do we call this character? Oh, Han, because, you know, uh, we, we can't leave any complicated names for people to say Han's easy enough. Yeah. Like, oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, what about his first name? Uh, Solo. <laughs> I don't think, like, most of the characters don't get a first name. Lee never gets a first name, canonically, in any of the films. That's all you need. Uh, I believe he does from some of the other Chinese-speaking characters. Sure. But in English, he never has a... Um, canonical first name i no, think no, he no. does i can't remember what it is but it's I did look at it. in the same way that dragon lady's name is jasmine according mm. to the novelization yeah yeah, yeah there's so many fucking jackie chan films where he's just called jackie yes <laughs> that's true yeah, yeah, yeah uh that might be a reference to something later on anyway oh Han addresses the importance of fighting the triads at the world criminal court in los angeles is the start of rush hour three slightly different though he starts to announce the whereabouts and names of high-ranking triad members. He's going straight to the list of Shai Shen. Oh. He has the information, and he must be stopped. Because an assassin snipes him, causing panic. It's Rush Hour 3. Carter, who is part of the LAPD team supporting the event, sprints to find the shooter. On a nearby rooftop, Carter corners the shooter, but hesitates when the assassin's hood drops and reveals... Lee. Oh, goddamn. Yeah. Carter is shaking, having not seen Lee in a few years, and his hesitance allows Lee to escape. Made this too fucking serious yeah. mm. and intriguing. That's not what Rush Hour is to me, <laughs> but you know what? I'm going with it. Ambassador Hahn is on life support in hospital following the assassination, while Carter tries to make sense of seeing Lee as Hahn's assassin. You can imagine Stakes, Carter. actual stakes of yep. people being injured. There you go. Uh, Captain Dale tells uh, Carter that he's assigning Carter to the case, showing some faith in him after his success in the previous big cases, aka Rush Hour 1 and 2. Kind of misplaced faith, because Carter keeps fucking up, but he has had some big successes. It's LAPD, then. He's trying to do a little bit of a character growth. <laughs> no, 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 I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, yeah. Suggesting Carter has gone on to do like it's legit, legit police work over the last few yeah, years. Yeah. You'll get a new partner assigned to him, a detective who recently transferred from the NYPD, where they had success dealing with the triad. Dill introduces a Chinese-American female detective, Ellen Yin. Carter and Yin head to Chinatown to investigate Han's potential assassin. They meet one of Carter's informants, and Carter's usual nonsense ensues. I do a lot of the cool fight ensues, oh, and usual bollocks. Yep. Chris Tucker will do some improvisational nonsense and whatever. Don Cheadle's there for some reason. Yeah, doing, <laughs> a, doing a Cockney accent. Yep. Uh, the informant isn't useful until Yin steps in, taking no shit and pinning him up against a wall. Carter tries to calm Yin down, but her method works, and the informant tells of a new guy skulking around in Chinatown recently. You guys heard it here. Enhanced interrogation techniques work. Exactly. It's 2004, everyone believes it. Yeah. Yep. Post 9-11 world. He's got a scary reputation and is known as Shashao, a.k.a. Killer. Yin and Carter follow the informant's instructions and go to a nearby Chinese-owned cinema where Shashao is known to hang out. I didn't know how else to describe this. So, in a traditional Chinese room... <laughs> 
You know what I mean. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean, yeah. <laughs> we see Lee reporting to a mysterious figure surrounded by bodyguards and smoke from nearby incense. Everyone speaks in Mandarin with subtitles of the conversation between Lee and his apparent boss. Lee confirms his assassination of Han, and the boss seems pleased. The boss warns Lee of a detective who appears to be sniffing around their business. The meeting ends with, deal with him, and Lee bows before leaving. Carter and Yin stake out the cinema and will use the time to build up the chemistry between the pair. That makes complete sense. Yeah, we'll have a little bit of back and forth. And yeah. She's take no shit and he's talking all of his yeah, shit. Yeah, he's like, mm-hmm. I know all about China. It's like, you know shit all about anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, again, it's, it's, it's laid back LA versus uptight New York. Mm-hmm. I get it. We'll get into that in a sec. <laughs> oh, despite some similarities between them as detectives, Carter is a dick to Yin as both a career woman and a Chinese American. Because Carter is a garbage human being. Yeah, He true. doesn't treat women with respect and is constantly racist to Chinese people. She's a Chinese woman, a Chinese-American woman, which is key. Yes. She doesn't have the language problem. Mm. Ming-Na Wen speaks fluent English Yeah, yep. this whole time and is bilingual. So there you go. Yep. Fuck you, Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Yin takes no shit and fires back, telling Carter that he was only successful because of his old partner. Not wrong. It's no, a Hong Kong right. situation, basically. Yeah. <laughs> At the mention of Lee, Carter gets pissed off and storms off towards the cinema. Yin rolls her eyes and reluctantly follows Carter. A real Inspector Gadget type dealio. Pretty much. Dum ba dum, dum ba dum, dum ba dum ba dum ba dum. Whoa! Dum ba dum ba dum. As they enter, Yin turns on a giddy girlfriend act and grabs Carter's arm. Carter buys two tickets to a showing starting soon, and they stall to buy snacks and drinks while secretly scoping out the joint. On the premium guest mezzanine floor above, they spot some triad-looking guys with suits and tattoos and begin making their way towards the stairs. As they approach, a large security guard stops them with a red rope. Carter squares up to him, but Yin steps in, speaking Mandarin, and introduces Carter as Shashul. The guard looks visibly shaken, and despite Carter throwing a few ineffective punches at him, he lets them through. Unseen to the detectives in the background, we see a figure sneaking past another entrance up the stairs. The pair are welcomed to a lavish lobby, featuring a bar and a dozen triad. They're greeted by a friendly man who introduces himself as Shi Long, the aforementioned Donnie Yen. He offers to take Shishao, meaning Carter, to meet the boss, but Yin isn't allowed to join them. Carter follows Long as the triad guys begin making their moves on Yin. Because we've got to have some misogyny, but don't you worry. These guys get their comeuppance. <laughs> Carter is introduced to the boss, a man sitting on a large chair in the shadows, who talks through Shi Long as a translator. Carter starts asking questions about Ambassador Han's assassination and lets slip that Han survived. Long visibly reacts to this reveal, assuming he was killed. He was Mm -hmm. not killed. But before the three men can act, Long is kicked off by an off-screen unknown assailant. Cutting back to the lobby, Detective Yin has had enough of these sleazy thugs and starts kicking their asses. Long reels from the kick as his assailant introduced himself as Shashao. Played by Samo fucking Samo Hung. Samo fucking Hung, baby. Oh, nice. The two begin fighting, and it's Donnie Yen versus Samo, so it's awesome. I read that <laughs> in the pitch. <laughs> yep, and I buy it. The boss suddenly leans into action to... Uh, sorry, the boss suddenly leaps into action to help Long, revealing that Lee was posing as the boss. Carr shouts at Lee, hardly believing his eyes once again. Carr is unsure which side to pick and ends up getting hit in the face 
um, by each of them in turn, which again, I can see absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Classic. <laughs> I had a real visual thing of like Chris Tucker, like, oh, man, am I on your side? Bang. Am I on your side? Kick. Am I on your side? Punch. I, I absolutely say. And the thing is, they don't really have that in the third one. They do in the first one. It's like him going, it's like, which one will hit me? Yeah. yeah. And then he does in the second one, like, oh. and it, it, it doesn't do it in the third one because again, they forget half the yep. sort of yeah. jokes. So th that works really well, I think. Anyway, the fight continues, and it's Jackie Chan and Donnie Yen versus Sammo Hung, and it's even more awesome. Car <laughs> uh, scrambles out of the room to get Yin's help and sees Yin delivering the final blow to a thug. She's whipped a dozen dudes' ass. It's the classic, like, pan yep. over, and there's a floor yep. full of people. There's a bunch yep. of dudes with, like, broken pull cues and yeah, popcorn yeah. over their heads and all kinds of shit. They run back into the room to see Shashao overwhelmed by Lee and Long. As Long is about to knock his opponent out, Carter fires his gun in the air to stop the fight. Carter addresses the room, waving his gun around, but the bad guys take the momentary distraction to escape through nearby windows. It's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre reference. Yep. <laughs> but, not, but not. Outside the cinema, the bruised and beaten Shashao introduces himself as a former LAPD detective named Samo Law, and the martial law theme song plays in the background <laughs> are we familiar with the martial law tv show mm -hmm. it, it's it's that it's a crossover because <laughs> martial law is the best it's... i feel like a handful of people get that reference there's samo being a badass in la <laughs> I, I loved it as a kid <laughs> So I've, I've got, I've got <laughs> Samo, and yes, his character's name is Samo Law. That was the thing I was referencing, where oh, yeah. Jackie Chan keeps playing characters yeah. called Jackie. <laughs> Samo plays characters called Samo as well. <laughs> it's a rush hour martial law crossover, yeah. <laughs> baby. Bring a back my mad crossover. No, 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 I get it, I get it. Uh, so he believes Long and his boss Fang are responsible for killing his old partner. Law didn't real. Uh, Law didn't recognize Lee and asks Carter who he is. Carter explains his relationship with his former partner turned assassin. Law shows them a note with an address and time later in the evening. Carter spots a SIM card attached to the back of the note, and as the detectives head back to their car, Carter tears the SIM card off, and their car explodes, sending the trio flying. Yin reports back to the precinct about the car bomb and updates Captain Biel on what's happening. Carter snatches the phone, because he's a dick, mm -hmm. and tells the captain, we've got it all under control. Law hails a cab and hurries them along. In the cab, Law plans the demise of the triad and is clearly driven by vengeance. Carter, suspicious, asks how long it's been since he was in the LAPD. Yin, chipping in and cutting off Law, outdoes the other two, telling some grisly tales of her experiences in New York. There you go, touching on the mm -hmm. hardcore streets of New York type shit. Absolutely. The trio arrive at the address, an old abandoned warehouse where they are greeted by Lee. Yin and Law attack Lee straight away as he tries to explain to Carter that he's working undercover. Imagine Jackie Chan trying to have a conversation with Chris Tucker while Ming-Na Wen and Sammo Hung are trying to kick him in the face. <laughs> oh no, I can, I can, yeah. It's, it's the, no, please, just one second. <laughs> just, just listen to me. <laughs> no, you should just, yeah. listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Dodging around. Yeah. Please, please. I don't want any trouble. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Lee talks about how he purposely didn't kill Han and how he detonated the car bomb early so he could maintain his cover but not kill anyone. Car finally manages to calm everyone down. I'm sure that's also quite obnoxious. Yep, yep. Uh, Lee says he's trying to expose the real head of the triad, the man he and Long report to. 
Carter and Yin are reluctant, but see Lee's side of things. Finally, through gritted teeth, Law agrees to hold back and let Lee do his undercover work. Lee returns to Long and their boss, now revealed to the audience as an old man named Fang. Hello, James Hong. Fang states how disappointed he is in them both, his top assassins, that they couldn't kill a witless American, a woman, and a fat retired cop. Sammo Hung is overweight and retired at that point. And he always makes jokes about it. He does, yeah. He tells them that they need to kill Han before he recovers and can reveal the information. They both glare at each other, bow to Fang, and apologise before departing. Outside, Long and Lee agree to split up, with Long taking on the detectives and Lee killing Han at the hospital. While the detective trio go back to the LAPD precinct, they get word that Han is conscious and head to the hospital to speak with him. In the hospital, despite the directive from Fung earlier, we see Long, not Lee, disguised as a doctor and wheeling in Fung in person. Fung wishes to witness Han's death personally after the previous mistake and him surviving the assassination. Long quietly slips into Han's room, only to be confronted by Lee. Lee beat him to it. Lee questions Long's loyalty and why he's there. Long reveals he knows who Lee is and staggers Lee with a kick. Long tries to stab Han to finish him off, but Lee blocks him with a tray. A tight quarters fight ensues with Long trying to kill the ambassador at every opportunity. The fight spills out into the hospital corridor as the detectives arrive. Carter is essentially directing traffic and helping keep people out of the way as everyone else does a big awesome fight. Law is enraged and tries to deal a fatal blow to Long while Lee and Yin simultaneously fight off Long and to stop Law from killing him. More triad goons arrive at the hospital at Fung's request while Yin joins Carter to try to save hospital staff and patients while fighting goons off. Lots of goons. Yee. There's one shot in Rush Hour 3 in a hospital, which is the only dynamic shot in yes. the movie, which is them, like, throw me the gun, and they throw a gun, it's empty, and then they follow the clip as it slides yes. on the table. That's it. Yeah. That's the only thing I've got in that film. They're like, oh, it's a bit interesting. Yeah. Oh, competent filmmaking. There's something yeah. going on here for about a few seconds. Yep. Lee and Long have their one-on-one showdown. It's epic. Yep. Fang tries to escape by wheeling himself away, but is stopped by Carter. Lee defeats Long with an assist from Law and takes him down, arresting him. The LAPD storm the building after hearing about the commotion in the hospital and the bad guys are handed over to the police. So that's a much longer sequence, obviously. I'm actually oh, rushing no, it's a big yeah. final... Cool fight ensues. This is the final quarter of the film. Big 15, 20-minute kind of yeah. fight through the hospital, court corridors and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I could definitely imagine Fung thinking he's escaping and then... Carter just sticking his foot out and stopping the wheelchair. Yeah. I could see a lot of Benny Chan's direction really coming in here. Yes. A lot of planning in this stuff. Like from the get go, both Chan's would have been working on this. Like, how are we going to make this good? Donnie Yen obviously being a really integral part of the Mm -hmm. let's make this a really engaging thing rather than just let's film those mid fucking shots. Nailed it. Yeah. Moving on. Green screen. (laughs) Oh, that fucking green screen. At the end of the film, Lee and Carter reunite properly, but agree to go their separate ways once again. Basically, Carter realizes, like, yeah, Yin's pretty awesome. She's a great partner, and you've got other shit going on. So mm. I'm glad we're friends again, but, you know, it's cool. That kind of thing. They mutually agree yes, to yes, go yeah. their separate ways. They're in their 40s now. It's fine. Law, now walking with a cane, because he got his ass kicked earlier, 
still grumbles about how he never exacted his revenge on the triads as he planned. Carter tells him to cheer up. The bad guys got what was coming to him anyway. Yin switches on the car stereo, and the group dance to war as the credits begin to roll. Got, got to get some Edwin Starr in there somewhere. Every film ends it's with war. It's not a rush hour film if it doesn't. Pretty much. I thought, like, what other song could I end on? I was like, ah, no, it kind of has to be war, I suppose. It's 2004. It's very pertinent at that point. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The 15th Gulf they War. They stop, yeah. turn straight to the camera, look down at the audience, mm. and war. just keep saying war. What huh? is it good for? Yeah. <laughs> Oil. Absolutely. <laughs> Dick Cheney. WMDs. <laughs> The vice president <laughs> taking all the money. Oh, um, I like it. I think it's solid. Um, it's, it's a thousand percent less offensive. So fucking it hell! No, no, it's it's a, a comp. It's it's, it's it, and I hate to say this because this is a thing I did with I think um, uh, with Atlantis a little bit. Oh. It's like you've made a great little fucking story here. Yeah. And yet, connecting it from the previous Rush Hour things, it feels just a slight disconnect. That's not a bad thing, because it's just a good fucking story. A different director. That's the thing. thing. I yeah. think that's that's part of it. But I think the only thing that I think could... Um, not the only thing. I think that could make it a stronger link is not necessarily giving Carter more to do, but this is something the second film forgets that the first film did quite well. That Carter has his own little story mm. that kind of bubbles away, that mm. happens to intersect with what Lee is doing. And I feel like just a hint more of that would make it feel a bit more on those lines. Um, but other than that, the inclusion of the new partner, Win Yin, good shout. The New York LA thing, that's always going to go well with an audience. Uh, Chinese American over just, you know, oh, a Chinese mm. person's come over from China as well, much like it was previously, or Hong Kong, whatever. So I think that's really solid. Um, obviously, Sammo Hung and Donnie Yen, genius. Right. I've no problem with that. Who else is I gonna put in this movie? Yeah. No, no, no corporate white guy. Interesting choice. Yeah. Um purposefully didn't do that. That's but, fine. You know. Um but yeah, again, it's, it's, it's an, 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 apart from Captain Bill and Johnson, it's an entire person of colour cast. Yeah. Ninety percent mm. Asian, obviously, with Chris Tucker in there mm. as well. But, Which is what yeah. it kind of should be. I mean yeah. the, the fish out of water sort of thing is again. Really, it's the it's the New York cop uh, in an LA setting. That was mm. my plan to do the yeah. fish mm. out of water without going to fucking Las Vegas or Paris mm. or yeah. some other nonsense. Like, how can I do it in LA again, but make LA feel fresh? Like, we use Yin as kind of the surrogate audience member mm -hmm. that is introduced to LA, but she she's seen some shit in that New York and she can handle yeah. herself. Mm. Which is always a bit this is a fucking weird thing to say. It's always the diehard issue. The whole point of Die Hard 1 is that you've got this grumpy-ass New York cop mm. in saying, fucking California, man. Yeah. That's the whole thing. And then the second film's like, oh, by the way, it's Dulles Airport. You're like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm just a grumpy New York guy somewhere else. And then the third film's like, here's a grumpy New York dude with every motherfucker being grumpy because it's New York. And the less said about four or five, the better. Mm -hmm. um, we, we fixed them, it's fine. We did. But that's kind of the point. It's, um, it, it's enough for Shadow Water stuff. 2004 LA can be done in a very different way. I feel also, to be fair, the way they portray LA in in 1998 and the start of the 2007 Rush Hour 3, it already feels like just an entirely different setting. Mm. Um, so you could, there's a lot I think you could do there with that. So that's interesting. Um, as I say, I think there is a, a tonal jump to a degree because it's almost too competent. 
<laughs> um, and as I said, I think I think there are ways you can tweak that, but not necessarily because, and that's more just to keep it in line with the franchise. Because what you've done here is create something that's really good and really engaging. I'm like, yeah, I'm enjoying the story. Solid. I I I I think it's so much better than the actual Rush it's a low Hour fucking three. bar. It's a low bar, but but very well cleared. I do have a couple of problems with it. Mm. One is that I'm not sure that Jackie Chan would be happy playing someone who appears to be a villain for much of the film. I did think about that. Funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the other problem with it, and I think this is much like you mentioned about your um, mm-hmm. Atlantis script of it yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. feeling like a good film, but not necessarily a rush hour, is that there's very, very little of Lee and Carter actually together. Yep. Um, mm. And I think that that is in many ways the main strength of the first two. Um, and I think it's, yeah, I can understand the, the desire to kind of, okay, well, there's only so many, the whole idea of like, can we capture that lightning in the bottle again? Like maybe exactly we should push thinking, into yeah. some new territory, mm-hmm. but I think you need, you need a bit more of them together. Maybe at the start, maybe at the, I know that would require some dramatic shakeup. Yeah. Um, but like I think you, we could do I, I th- a cold open with them. I yeah. was going to say a cold open prologue with the time jump would yes. be something. Yeah. Three years later. Blah, 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 yeah, and maybe have it some... set up like all oh, the triads doing some shit that's on I've the rise. You, could get, you get a hint yeah. of Donnie Yen or, or James Hong in or just the, something, yeah. in the prelude or cold yeah. open kind of thing. Yeah, and it's all like, I've like got we to get this... with the first one. Yeah. We get that prelude cold open yeah. with Sang and stuff. Don't yeah, we, so. and you can get that coldness with I've got to do this car. I was like, yeah, Lee, and we've always done it together. No, you don't understand. I need to do this on my own. It's like, yeah. well, yeah. what? why? And then they have that, that, yeah. that's iciness. So when you see him again, like, what the fuck's happening? Because I think if you could see mm. things like the Shinjuku incident or the foreigner where Jackie Chan plays a much darker character, yes. mm. again, later in his mm. career, I think Shinjuku's like 2007, 2008. But the point is that you'd because ha- I, I agree with Tim, I think. I, 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 I think he's revealed to be undercover quick enough. I think the audience will probably know something's awry. Mm. The problem is he shoots Han. I feel like Han has to be in on it. Yeah. I did actually have a version where he was. So I had, oh, was it Han and Biel, I think it was, that were in on, that knew... Lee was undercover. Yeah. But they didn't tell Carter. It, in the same the way thing. that in a Mission Impossible film, Tom Cruise cannot be seen as the bad guy in a way Tom Cruise will not be seen as yeah. Yeah. that character. He even when he plays a villain, which is when he, Tom Cruise is at his best. Um so I, 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 again, like in Tropic Thunder, right, guys? Yeah, actually. <laughs> uh but no, <laughs> it's kind of the point. It's because I think this could be a, a, a strangely eye-opening moment where it's like, shit, Chan's Jackie Chan great as a fucking yeah. villain. Mm. But then it's also like, not really. It's like, oh shit. Okay, yeah, fair yeah. enough. So I'm that's why I'm like, I, yeah, I, like, see it I, I, I respect it for like trying to push into new areas. But I it's think, also a rush think, hour. But also I think, yeah, you need a little bit more tethering to, to the originals because yeah. but yeah, I think I think yeah, doing like a, a little a cold open to set up some of the plot stuff, um, to hint at stuff, and then having perhaps Hanby uh, and then you can have that. Because for the marketing, them, you're not going to see the, the, the twist Yeah, he's undercover. You're yes. just going to see they're against each other now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, you see that moment where he sees him as the sniper and it's like, mm. oh my God. 
Yeah. Jackie Chan's evil. So yeah, you can have a he big the communist but almost I mean, <laughs> almost like a James Bond cold open type yes. shit. You know, I think so, yeah. just like the the tail end of another, you know, wacky adventure that they've gone on and then tease the triad stuff and then have Lee just basically be like off. Yeah, I've 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 yeah, gotta like I've gotta go do a thing. And I like the idea of Han being in on it and mm. like almost like if they're trying to do it to like draw out the elements and get you know, we've got to get make the triads make a big move and then we can clamp down on the whole organization with the information Lee's got or whatever I like kind it. of stuff. Yeah. You I, could I, have a bulletproof vest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shot, so in my version he's like shot in the shoulder, obviously, yeah. rather than like the square of the chest or the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weirdly mention of Tom Cruise reminds me of the bit in what is it, in Fallout where yes. he's got a there's multiple snipers and he yeah. ends up Tom Cruise ends up shooting the target to get him out of the way kind yes. of thing. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I I'm doing a thing now, just a hypothetical, because 2004. Mm. It's this is thing we do with Great year for Donnie Yen. <laughs> clearly, now it's the thing we all do when we're writing pitches. Um, you, I, I, I think all of us have used a defense at some point, which is like, yeah, but you have to remember what films are like at that point. Mm. Um, so obviously this is pre Batman Begins, yes, pre MCU. Mm-hmm. Just barely. Batman Begins is 2005, yeah. isn't it? So it's like next year. Spider-Man 2 era. Yeah. Yes. Po- post a year after Spider-Man 2. Something like that. Minority Report. Mm. Yeah. So what you end up post with... Post Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah. Post Lord of the Rings. And this is, the, this is a very strange thing to say, but also post 9-11. So there's obviously war. Yeah. And so what you end up with is stuff going in really interesting directions. You get a combination of... Um, comedies being really fucking sexy and goofy because it's like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Yeah. And then films saying, we need to talk about this. Mm. And even, you know, a, a, a strange post 9 11 world's like, oh no, Bond doesn't work. Oh yes, born identity works. Mm. And weirdly enough, there's a, a reference in, <laughs> of all things, Rush Hour 3, <laughs> which is like, have you seen American movies? Yes, I've seen American movies. You are an American spy. You are a super spy. It's like, is, is that a Bourne reference? Yeah. I don't get it. It's obviously drive through Paris. And so I, I don't get it. It's like, oh, no, just drive cool. Because like American movies, like, there are European movies with that. Anyway, not the point. <laughs> point I'm trying to get to is... Don't try and find logic in no, Rush Hour 3. That's true. But what I'm trying to get here is like, it's weird enough that you have to remember that at the time in 2004, there were some interesting shifts of darkness in yeah. comedies, because things like, for example, we mentioned before, um, Austin Powers three suddenly didn't work anymore. Some yeah. things just like, nah, it's not doing it for me. Yeah, and I think something coming out of the nineties suddenly saying, "This is the third one. We're going a different direction." It might have been a good time to do that mm. because another reason why, well, another reason, many reasons why National Theatre doesn't work. But similar things don't work when they segue to a new political landscape and social era. You're like. Yeah, nah. A yeah. big part of me bringing it forward three years is just that Rush Hour 3 feels dated in 2007. Absolutely. And obviously this is a very, very different movie in terms of not being tick all the phobic boxes. Mm. Thank Christ. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a conscious decision from my point of view to like bring it earlier in the timeline so it's more... Oh, no, you were right than... to do so. I would have mm. probably only done this film in 2004. And I, and I think I think the... 
tone-wise. Like, there are elements of the first rush hour that are fairly gritty. Yeah. Like, before it, before it goes into kind of, like, more of the kind of the comedy stuff, like, all of the plot elements of it are fairly, like, grounded, mm. relatively speaking. And yeah. I feel like Rush Hour 2 pushes it much more in the, like, wacky, wacky direction. Bullshit. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Comedy sequel. Yeah. yeah. And it, and and this would pull it back just to be like, no, there's, there's a little bit of, like, grit under here. We mentioned about the first film having the whole uh, understanding of the handover of... Yeah. Uh, Hong Kong, back yeah, in China. it's like it's like it, it it's rooted in a it, political like, yeah. reality, yeah, and, uh, and and ideas of like colonialism and stuff like yeah. that. In the very, it's rooted it, just a hint. The of, British guy yeah. is a villain, yeah. yes, who has taken over Hong mm. Kong, yeah. Ta da, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. There was a conscious decision for me. Two thousand four is also key. Uh, coincidentally, a slap back in the middle of the two films that were kind of partly inspiring this. Infernal Affairs is 2002. Yep. The Departed is 2006. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this sits quite nicely. Obviously, much funnier, Chris Tucker being yeah. there and all that kind of stuff. But it was very much that kind of vibe as well I was going for. If you yeah. made Infernal Affairs a comedy, yeah. or cranked up the comedy on and The Departed, as we discussed on our live stream, yeah. mm. I fucking love The Departed. Which is one of those things when we write about these pictures about tone and things like that. Mm. And again, we 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 do this all the time. I'm 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 very much key doing this. Where it's like I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about it. And then you go, who's the director again? Oh yeah, it's fucking Betty Chan. Mm. He's sh- he's shown he can do this. He mm. can yeah. do that edge of comedy to make it more funny that, or less. The plot can be. D- I mean, if you know about the first me, film, yeah. it's. Oh yeah, we're gonna bomb this child. Excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah. um, we'll kidnap this kid. It's a comedy, you say? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> So I think I think it's one of those things of like I will absolutely give it the that's why I said to the top like yeah no, it makes sense because I can see that mm. being so well but it's the question of how um, how rush houry it's going to be yeah. but then also this is the last one right yes absolutely then, yeah, yeah. There's almost you can have a little bit of fun with it see what you go yeah. get some big cameos in oof great yeah. yeah silly bollocks cameos for like the ten people that watch martial law going ah. Samo. <laughs> that's cool but, but it also it. works without you knowing it's yeah. the Samo character mm. from martial law so i mean they put a fucking crouching tiger hidden dragon actor in there it's like it's like who's gonna get this and it's like well you know she's in everything now it's like yeah and it's in rush out to it it's like so yes. you know it's- let's let's put her in this and give her nothing to do yep and then have chris tucker kill her uh, <laughs> gruesomely exactly. but in your case they're actual actors yeah. who the audience will go, oh, fuck, or alternatively go down the sublime of, oh, yeah, who's that person? That kind of thing. So I love Donnie Yen in yeah. Tim's version of Shanghai Nights. So it was great. <laughs> I can't believe I just saw him like a month ago. Yeah. What a year for Donnie Yen. <laughs> anyway, if you have any thoughts on my version of Rush Hour 3, please do let me know. I am JLW Chambers and all the Twitter and all that kind of stuff. We are, of course, sequelizers on all the social media and all that kind of stuff. Please do come and join the Discord. There will be plenty of post-show discussion, I'm sure, especially with it being a pick from Xenos, one of our VIPs, that always incurs uh, discussion and wrath, should we say, on the Discord. You can join that by going to sequelizers.com. There's links for our shop, links for the Discord, links for the live streams, and the entire archive of episodes you can find on the website there as well. Matthew, how can people find you and what you get up to on the interwebs? What I get to is private oh. uh stogs s-t-o-g-h-z on the social media stuff you can go to the red right hand at uk to read my reviews you can go to cheeseman.com to see the things that i make you can also search for sumo drop pod on twitter to see all the stuff and updates about my sumo wrestling podcast sumo drop tim what you up to girl 
Please. I don't want any trouble. Uh, you can just find me on Twitter. Trivia underscore lad uh, is the best place to find me where I will share anything interesting that I'm doing. Uh, but for the most part, that's sequelizers. So follow sequelizers too. Fair. Accurate. Well, we'll be back next week with quite different. Not like massively different. Every time you say something, I'm always like, I can't forget what it, I can't remember what it is. It's, it's, I'm just it's trying different to enough, but still some some threads. There's there's some there's some yeah. there's some interesting cr- crossover threads. There's guns but... and action and stuff. There you yeah. go. There's a little tease for you. Yeah. And maybe I'm fixing two in a row. Oh yeah. Maybe just maybe. Oh now I remember what it is. Yeah. Checking out lessons. Stay tuned next week. More season eleven fun. We've got some garbage coming up in the next in a good way like terrible fucking movies and our, one of our movie commentaries is coming up in the next few episodes yeah. as well so that's what you came for you stay records. tuned for all of that and thank you very much for listening bye bye what is it good for absolutely nothing, nothing. sing it again <laughs> <laughs>